message you're about to listen to is by Reverend Dr. Femi Olaleye of Oikea Christian Center. Remain blessed as you listen. Absolutely important. All right. Um, and that is the reason why you find, um, especially for the workers, I am always particular, all right, about it. Like asking, where are you? Did you take permission and all? Which means that those who are not present here, except there is a cogent reason, I will have to, you know, do the needful. Hallelujah. All right, because um, training is an important aspect of the local church. Training. It's a very important aspect of local church. You cannot have um, a local church where there isn't proper training in the Word of God. And if, because if there's no proper training in the Word of God, you're going to find out that you're going to be producing people who do not have the proper understanding of the gospel message. And if they do not have the proper understanding of the gospel message, then they will not be able to teach it. Praise God. Praise the Lord. All right, for those of you watching us online, you're welcome to the broadcast. Thank you. All right, this is going to be a long one. <laughs> Praise God. Is God going to be a long one? Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, first of all, I wanted to just do some clarification before I go into the meat of the teaching. Now, remember we've said before, we've said the Bible is not the Word of God. I don't know if you remember we said that. But the Bible contains the Word of God. And, you know, I found out that a lot of people do not understand what we mean by that when we say the Bible is not the Word of God. All right, if you look at St. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with what? Was with God, and the Word was what? Was God. So when we say the Bible is not the Word of God, we are not saying the Bible is not inspired. All right, we are saying the Bible in itself is not the logos of God. Because the Word... The expression word there in Genesis, um, John chapter 1, verse 1 is what? Logos. And the Bible lets us understand that the logos is a person. Because in verse 14 of John 1, it says, And the logos became what? Flesh and dwelt amongst us. So the logos of God is not a book. The logos of God is a what? Talk to me. The logos of God is a what? Is a person. His name is what? Jesus. The Logos of God is not a book. The Logos of God is a person and his name is Jesus. However, the Bible, all right, is better qualified as scriptures. Second um, Timothy chapter number three. Scriptures. Second Timothy chapter number three and verse 15. And what does scriptures mean? Scriptures means inspired writings. That's what it means. It means sacred books, inspired writings. Glory to God. Is Olaolua here? She's not yet here. Yeah, I'll be would, would surprised if she misses this. It says, verse 15, I said 2 Timothy 3, 15. It says, all scripture, it says, okay, that's for the, from a child, and that from a child thou hast known the what? The holy scriptures, which are able to what? Now, the word Holy Scriptures there is hieros grammar. Hiero grammar. Hiero grammar. So, grammar there is talking about the words used in the scriptures. Glory to God. All right. That scriptures there is grammar. Hieros is holy. That's sacred writing, sacred words. All right. This is, and for me, child, thou hast known the sacred 
writings, the sacred words, the things that are written in the book. He says, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in what? Christ Jesus. Now, verse 16, everybody read. He says what? All scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. All scripture. So all the writings. So scripture there is graphe. That is 2 Timothy 3.16. Graphe. And graphe is speaking and referring to that which is written. He's talking about the writing. All right. So he's saying that there are writings that are sacred. Hallelujah. There are writings that are sacred. And these writings that are sacred is what we call what? The Bible. The Bible, all right, is from the Latin, la Biblia, and the Greek, so the, the Latin, la Biblios, and the Greek, la Biblia, which means the books. So the word Bible is actually used to describe a collection of books that are regarded as what? Scripture. Clear? All right, the word Bible is used to define a collection of writings, all right, which are defined as scripture. So that's what the Bible is. So the Bible is a collection of books. It's not one book. It's 66 books. And it's a collection of books that are defined as scripture. So when you read the scriptures, it reveals who? The person called the word of God. So that's why we say the Bible is not the word of God, but the Bible is scriptures that contains details about the word of God. So when you read the word, when you read the Bible, you are going to encounter who? The person called what? The word of God. Is this clear? Is this clear? Because the word of God, the logos of God is not a book is a person, but the Bible or scripture are collections of writings inspired that reveals to us the identity and the details about the person called the Logos of God. How many of you understand that explanation? How many of you understand that explanation? Yes, because that explanation is very key because there are a lot of people that will not really understand um, because they always think um, of the Bible in English. You know, so when you say word of God, I can't say the Bible is not the word of God. You understand? But better you will say that if, if I said the Bible is not scripture, then that is where I'm wrong. You understand? Because scripture means it's inspired writings. But in their English mindset, they think word of God is inspired writings. Are you following? Whereas word of God is uh, used in scripture to refer to a person. The word of God is never used to refer to the book. Glory to God. Are you seeing that? Aha, very important. I just wanted to just state that. So now we started last night and we explained that the Exodus was God moving the children of Israel from where? From Egypt to where? To where? You will have to talk. Amen. You will have to talk. Glory to God. Or we will do one hour praying in tongues so that your spirit can be activated. Glory to God. <laughs> so let us start again. The last night we said that the Exodus was, all right, the movement of the children of Israel from where? From Egypt to what? To Canaan. So we saw that the Exodus or the redemption story was a figurative um, message or a typology showing what God was going to eventually do in the translation of mankind from what? From darkness into what? Into light. All right. From 
the kingdom of the devil into what? The kingdom of the son. We looked at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. We said, who had translated us from the kingdom of what? Darkness into the kingdom of his what? Of his dear son. So we see a translation. Glory to God. We see a translation. Then we're also able to see, all right, that Canaan in the Old Testament is a typology for the promise that was made to Abraham. So in Genesis, we see the promise being a land flowing with what? With milk and honey. But we are able to see that that land, spoken of typologically in the Old Testament, as flowing with milk and honey, in the New Testament is what? The Spirit. Because in Galatians chapter 3, we are shown that what Christ has redeemed of Galatians 3.13, he said, Christ has redeemed us from the cause of the law, being made a cause for us, for it is written to us, is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the what? The blessing of what? All right. Might come upon what? On the Gentiles through faith, that they may receive the what? The promise of the Spirit. So the promise of the Spirit is the actual blessing that is being referred to when Canaan is mentioned. Glory to God. When Canaan is mentioned, the promise of the Spirit, that is the indwelling Spirit. So when God said to Abraham, leave your father's house, leave your mother's house, and I'm going, I want you to go to a land that I will show you what he's saying is come out of darkness and come into the Christ. The Christ is the presence of the Spirit. The Christ is the indwelling of the Spirit. Now today, I want us to now do some word studies and proper Bible studies for us to go deeper into what we looked at yesterday today, then also go further in our an, uh, analogies and our figurative um, um, breakdown of, you know, just supposing the Old Testament and the New Testament, and for us to understand some of the instructions Paul gave as it regards the Spirit. Now, I know many of you, when you heard pneumatology, you guys were thinking that we will just come here and I'll be talking about Holy Spirit, gift of the Spirit, have Well, you have to start from the very beginning. So that you can have a full understanding of what is being said. Praise God. So that the next time people are praying that God should take you to your promised land, you will know that you are praying rubbish prayer. Praise God. Yeah, are you following what I'm saying? I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Because when you say, Father, God will take you to you, know that you are, you are talking rubbish. Because the promised land is what? The Spirit. The only person who has not entered this promised land is the who? Unbeliever. Glory to God. Did you hear what I'm saying? <laughs> All right, land flowing with milk and honey is expression for pleasure. That is also akin to eating. Glory to God. So that means, all right, um, when you receive Jesus, you arrive at your promised land, you have the indwelling of the Spirit, and you are back to the Garden of Eden. Glory to God, the presence of God. All right, the indwelling of the Spirit. How many of you understand that? So let us go into the word. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. By the way, after this sermon, someone, one or two or three of you will sow a seed all right, of nice meal. So I can do, can bless you. You understand? Don't go, just go and just let the Lord lead you. Don't buy pizza for me. I can't bless you. you can, my wife can bless you. Me, pizza. It couldn't come from my heart. All right? You know, jollof fries, I have sense. You know, you know, pandedian with okra. That's okra is the soup. There's no other soup in Zion. It's just a crop. Because you see, the Bible says it, it draws us. It said, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Not I will vegetable, no. I will draw. So it's the only soup in Zion. 
Praise the Lord. Are you ready? Now remember, not now, after we are done, you can, after you have learned, you can now go on Twitter and share. Not now. If I catch you tweeting now, we have problem. Those ones online, to keep their attention, they can be tweeting and you understand. But you put here, your attention. Praise God. And those of you online, don't deceive yourself that you are following this message. And you are listening here, then you are tweeting, then you are coming out, and you are going in. Then you now hear one thing, hmm, Canaan is the promised land. You know, hashtag where you spreading. You are deceiving yourself. Pay attention, stay in one place, be disciplined. Amen. Glory to God. When I want to actually benefit from a service, if there is physical, I will be there. I'll be there because I can't deceive myself. Is it when Jason says, I want to wee wee, that I'm saying I'm following a message? No, no, it won't work. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Now, are you ready? It says, and God said, let us make man in our image, after our what? Likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. Now, that word image is what I want us to look at, all right, you know, very well today. And the reason I want us to look at that is because if you study the Old Testament, you will find out that all through Scripture, God commanded against the Jews making any likeness of any God, all right, and saying, this is our God. And we're going to find out why that was the case today. Praise the Lord. Now, it says, all right, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the fall of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now let's look at this. The word image here is the Hebrew word selem. Sound guys, you are going to give me notes of your sermon outlines. So keep chatting and talking. I'll find out how you are going to get it. Be smiling and nodding like Agama lizard. Don't give me your notes after, after the sermon. All right, now the word image there is the word selem, that is T-S-E-L-E-M. And it means a resemblance or a likeness. A resemblance or a likeness. In Hebrew, it is usually used to refer to an idol. So this is how it works, right? We're going to look at other places where it's used, and we're going to look at other Hebrew words, all right, that are translated as image. Hmm? Now, it's, you know, when you have an idol, right? Let's say people are worshipping Odin. I don't know if you know Odin. Okay, let me come to our Nigerian level, Shongo, you know, or Oya, all those kind of people. All right. Now, nobody has seen Odin before. But what the unbelievers would do, or the, idol, the pagans would do, is that they will erect an image, okay, and say, this is Odin. Or they will erect an image and say, this is Obatala. Or say, this is, they will erect an image and say, this is what? Is what? Uh, Oya or Shongo. So they will now begin to offer oblation to the idol. But the idol, that image, is not the real idol. It's a representation of the idol. Are you following? So when you see that image, you say, oh, they worship this 
Are you following? So Salem is a visible representation, glory to God, of that which you don't see. Salem is a visible representation of the deity the people are worshipping, but they have not seen. You see that? That's what Salem speaks to. Hallelujah. So you find another example in Genesis chapter 5, verse 3. Salem, that word Salem is used. Genesis 5 and verse 3. All right, look what it says. It says, And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness after his what? Image. That word image is what? Salem. So that means what he's saying. That Adam was the what? The pattern after which Seth was born. To understand Seth, you have to look at what? Adam. Now note, Seth was not born after the image of who? Of God. Is this there? He was born after the image of who? Adam, which means when Adam procreated, he procreated as a natural man because he was a what? A natural man. Clear? Come on, is this clear? Come on, is this clear? All right, good. Now, let's look at other words, you know, where we see image. Exodus 20. Exodus 20 and verse 4. I'm, I'm, you know, don't worry. You know this kind of, when you have long teaching sermons, it's not time where you be shouting and you just calm down. Be, you know. So follow me, eh? Praise God. Everybody, can we read Exodus 24? What does it say? One to go. It says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any what? Any what? Graven image, all right? Or any likeness of anything that is in what? Heaven above. Or that is in what? The earth beneath. Or that is in the what? Under the earth. Now, I'm afraid you remember what we told you about Genesis 126 when he was talking about uh, you shall have dominion over the what? Bed of the air, fish of the sea, and what? And over what? You understand? So, what the Lord was, I've told you that that was referring to what? To demonic spirits. Because the pagans used to create images to represent those spirits. Are you following? Come on, are you following? And you are going to see it as we go through the scriptures. You will see that same categorization. Heaven above the earth and water. You will see it. So thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Now, the word graven image there is the Hebrew word persel. All right? So this one is not just image, Right? He's talking about a graven image, something that is made a monument. Made a monument. The image of a god or an idol is made a monument. And God said, thou shalt not make unto thee. So God is saying, Do not, you, you are not to make any image unto thee and call it God. Glory to God. Leviticus 26.1. 
also, you find that more times in the Old Testament, the word image is used more to refer to idols than to man or God. You follow? The first mention of the word image was used to talk about the image of what? Of God. Which means in God's original plan, man was to be born after whose image? God's image. Was to worship whose image? God's image. Was to be patterned after whose image? God's image. So that's why the first and appropriate use of the word image referred to who? God. But, all right, the next time we see the word image mentioned, who do we see it with? um, Genesis 5. It was who? Man, Adam, natural man. So that means he fell short of God's plan of being born afterward, his image, but was now recreating after whose image? His own natural self. Praise the Lord. Are you with me so far? I said, are you with me so far? Good. Now, look at now what he says in Leviticus 26.1. He says, he shall make you no idols, nor graven image, neither rear you up a what? Now, you see, in this Leviticus 26 one, all right, there are three different Hebrew words used for image. All right, three. You are not baby Christians. Is there any baby Christian here? So you will take the information. <laughs> three different words. All right. Salem is not here. That's the one used for God. All right. He says, he shall make you no idols or graven image. The first one is Pesel. All right. He now says, neither rear you a standing image. All right. That standing image there, it's Matseba. Neither shall you set any of, of any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. The third other one is Maseka. Praise God. So the graven image is one that is an image of an idol that is engraved. All right, then the standing image is the one that they put, and you know, like the one um, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do. Remember that one? The one that they built and stood. Before you enter it, you see a giant image of the God, and you have to bow to it. That is the standing image. Then he now says, Neither shall ye set up any image of stone. So that means this one, all right, this is, they make an idol, but they make it of stone. The graving image was, they will go to something maybe like a mountain and all, and they will engraving the idol there. So God said, You must not do anything like that. Any representation of any God to bow to it and worship it. You mustn't do it. He said, never do it. Praise God. Now you have that. Then look at Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 12. I want to just take you to the scriptures like that. Deuteronomy 9 12, you see that? God said, don't do it. So the question is, why? And the Lord said unto me, arise, get thee down quickly from ten ends. For thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt, have what? Have what? Corrupted themselves. Now, how did they corrupt themselves? It says, they are quickly turned aside out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a what? A multi... So he's saying, God is equating the making of an idol and the bowing to it to the corruption of man. 
It says they've corrupted themselves. What does corrupted mean? It means to degrade yourself. Praise God. Praise God. So they've corrupted themselves. They've degraded themselves. All right, look at the next verse, 13. All right, 13 says what? Furthermore, the Lord spake unto them, saying, I have seen these people, and behold, it is a what? A stiff-necked people. So that means it's an unbelieving people. So the question is, why is it that it says they corrupted themselves? It's simple. Because what was man, what image was man ordained to bear? Huh? The image of God. Glory to God. The image of God. Now, John 4, turn there, St. John's Gospel chapter 4. And verse 14. Okay, it says, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, shall never test, but the water I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into what? Everlasting life. 15 ounces what? The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I test not, neither come hither to draw. 16 says what? Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come there. Now go to 24. When he now tells us, All right, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. And in truth. Quickly. God is a what? God is a what? So, can you see a spirit? Can you see a spirit? I said, can you see a spirit? So if you cannot see a spirit, how can you make a visible representation of God if God is a spirit? Are you seeing a problem? Come on, are you seeing a problem? Are you seeing a problem? Ah. How can you make a visible representation of God if he is spirit? So he forbade them from making a visible representation of him because no man had seen him at any time. So because no man had seen him at any time, they couldn't properly create a representation of him that would be correct. Hallelujah. So all the idols that they created, they were creations of their puffy fleshly minds. Are you seeing this? Come on, are you seeing this? Now that's not all. Now, let us now move to the New Testament and see how Selem, or the word image, is used. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, Matthew 22, verse 20. Listen to me, oh, Papa Bible study. I'm not trying to entertain you. I'm giving you, I'm teaching you. Praise God. The anointing is available. If the available, if not, if it's... If you're not available to keep you awake and this thing, my brother, that's your problem. Oh. Hallelujah. <laughs> Matthew 22, 20. Now, let us start back up to 18 so that you can see the context because you understand a lot of things from understanding context of this. Matthew 22, 18 says, But Jesus perceived, no, back up to 16. I want us to see this too because this is where they come to ask Jesus to pay taxes so you can understand. 16. And they sent unto him their disciples with their radiance, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Everybody, look at me. Say that after with me. You need to be able to detect a trap. 
one of the easiest ways to trap people is through flattery. And the truth is, many of us are not as discerning as Jesus. So when we are being flattered, we don't know that we are about to be trapped. Where flattery is nearby, a trap is close. You get what I said? That's, ladies, check out the time you fell for a wrong guy. There was a lot of flattery involved. I have never seen a woman as beautiful as you. You yourself, you know that you have a friend that is finer than you. You understand? So, <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God, if you are being honest. Amen. <laughs> so, it's flattery. So, you have to. Glory to God. You know? You know, like you're a married man, and the lady is telling you that, I mean, I, I've never met a man like you. you. You yourself, you know you have problems. So you know that you have so you know that it's flattery. Wherever there is flattery, check a trap is close. So you need to learn how to be immune to flattery. So they come and say, they said they want to trap him more. See, hear what they said. They want to trap him more, but see how they approached it. And they said unto him, Oh, they have said, Master, we know that thou art true and teaches the way of God in truth. Neither cares thou for any man. I mean, you don't, you don't send anybody, you speak your mind. You speak your mind. You are blunt. That's why we like you. Correct. Oh, yeah, tell us this one. <laughs> this is the way of God in truth. Neither cares that for any man. For thou regardest not the person of man. You don't send anybody. If it's boy, you will tell it to him. Anybody will say it. Next verse. <laughs> tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Do you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to trap him. What they wanted to say is that, let him just say we should not pay taxes. We'll go and meet Rome. And say, there's one guy, he said we shouldn't pay taxes. Will you let him leave? <laughs> Tell us therefore what thing is that. Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Now, verse 18, look at what he says. But Jesus perceived their what? Their wickedness. You must be able to perceive wickedness when the person comes as a friend. When the person comes as a fan. <laughs> That's not today's sermon. Let's continue. And said, why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? He now says, show me, 19. He says, show me the tribute money. That is the money, you know. And they brought unto him a what? A penny. Pay attention now. He says, and he said unto them, whose is this what? Image. And what? Superscription. Now, that word image is the Greek word akon. Not akono. <laughs> or lekon. Akon. That is E-I-K-O-N. He says, whose, where we get in English, icon. Right? He said, whose image, whose icon is this image? So the word icon is the Greek version of the Hebrew Selem. So look at what they said in 21. I said, whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him who? Caesar's. So that means the coin had the face of Caesar on it. Are you seeing this? 
He now says, then he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God. So when they saw the tribute money and Caesar's face was on it, Jesus was saying, this coin is Caesar's property. Because his image is on it. So that image, the icon, is representative of the person whom most of them had not seen. Because it's not like today where you have social media and stuff. Caesar was in Rome. They were in Jerusalem. They had not seen Caesar. But the coin represented Caesar to them. How many of you understand that? So you now see a difference in how that word image is used. Praise God. You have the same story in Mark 12, 16. All right, I don't want us to read that. Now let's now go to Romans 1, 23. Image. Image. Let's, okay, let's back to, to like 19, 23. So I want you to see another thing here. We see a connection between idolatry and the corruption of men. You understand? All right, the degradation of men. He said, but what, because that which, is, which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. He's talking about the unbelievers. 20. He now says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without what? Excuse. Notice something important. He states one important quality about God. He is what? Invincible. Everybody say invincible. He is what? Invincible. All right. Now, 21, he now says that, 21 says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, Neither were they what thankful, but they became vain in their what imaginations, and their foolish heart was what. Hmm. Hallelujah. Twenty-two. Professing themselves to be wise, they became what. How many of you know that who Paul is talking about here? Who is he talking about? But wait. I, <laughs> who is he talking about? Hold on. Go back. Let's start from verse 15. And I want you to follow it. So you, you, should, you should know by now. After everything we've thought, we've looked through. All right? Now. So as much is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. 16. Everybody read for everybody read one together. For I am what? Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is a power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. Next verse, 17. Pay attention. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from what? Faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by... Now, this gospel, this the just shall live by faith. Is it a new revelation or something that was there in Genesis? Was it there in Genesis? I said, was it there in Genesis? Good. Next verse. 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who hold the truth in what? Unrighteousness. GD, I hope you are following. 19, it now says, because that which may be known of God is manifest where? In them. For God that showed it unto what? Unto them. 20, it now says, for the invincible things of him 
from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhood, Godhead, so that they are without what? Excuse. Does this involve Adam? Does this involve Adam? Uh -huh, now. All right, go down, 21. In our 21, it now says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were what? Thankful. But became vain in their words. All right. And their foolish heart was what? Was Adam's heart darkened? Uh -huh, now. All unbelievers, all who are in debt are identified in who? Adam. So what applies to them applies to him. Amen. Uh -huh. All right. Remember, the earth was without form and void, to overbow, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And we've said that the darkness upon the face of this was the darkness upon the hearts of men. Remember, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. So that means what he's telling us is that at the beginning, they, um, um, at the beginning, Adam and Eve had encounters with God, but they did not receive what he gave them. Are you following that? He says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain. So the vainness, they became it. They were not always vain. They became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts. So he calls the unbelief of Adam and Eve foolishness. He says their foolish heart was what? Darkened. So it was not always darkened. It became darkened. Hallelujah. Next verse, 22. Professing themselves to be what? Ah, they became what? Very interesting. Hmm. Professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Why does that sound very familiar? Huh. Let's remind ourselves. It sounds so familiar. Genesis 3. Verse 1. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yeah, God said ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden. Two. Everybody read. He says what? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. All right, three. He says, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Four. He now says, Everybody read together. He says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Five. He now says, For God doth that in the day, day therefore, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Six. He now says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired, to make one what? Aha. Glory to God. Go back to Romans 1. 21. So, they felt... That, so, you see, the sin of man was willful. It was intentional. So that's something you must understand. 
They saw God's way. They did not acknowledge it as God, neither were they thankful. But became what? Vain in their imaginations. Hallelujah. All right? Okay? And their foolish heart was darkened. 22. Professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Next verse. Uh -huh. And changed the glory of the what? Uncorruptible God. Into an image made like to what? Corruptible what? Man. And to what? Birds and four-footed beasts and what? Creeping things. So they downgraded. Are you seeing that? They downgraded. You seeing this? So, idolatry is one of the consequences of the fall of man. Idolatry reveals the corruption in men. In that their idea of God reveals the corruption that is in them. Where man feels that the God that created him, he can create with his hand. Hallelujah. You see that? He can create with his hand. Let's look at another place where the word, how many of you are following so far? You are following so far? Another place where the word icon, Romans 8.29. So when a man made an idol and said that was his God, God looks at it and says, well, that's not me. You understand? That's not me. That's not who I am. Where did you get the idea that that's me? Or that, that, where did you get the idea that I am, I'm, a, I'm a bird? You understand? Or a fish? Or a mermaid? It revealed their corruption. Now look at Romans 8, 29. Everybody, I want us to read. For whom he did what? For no. He also did what? To be conformed to the what? Icon of his what? Of his son. The image of his son. Okay. Now, listen. Praise God. Image of his son. Hmm. Image of his son. Uh, how many of you are, your brain is already picking what I want to say next. Image of his son. What is image? Visible what? All right. So, the representation of his son. Is the representation of the son the son? Talk to me now. Remember what you said about Icon and Selem. In that the idol was, the, the, the image of the idol was a representation of the personality. It was not the personality. So when you saw the idol, that idol represented the personality. 
So now it's telling for whom he did for know, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Hallelujah. So it means that there is an image of the son that all men are to what? Conform to. Now, if a man conforms to the image of his son, he would have what the son has. Because he later on says that he might be what? The firstborn among what? Ah. So, firstborn among many brethren is talking about the first to come out of what? Spiritual death. How did Jesus come out of spiritual death? Romans 8. Verse 11. Everybody read. But if the spirit of him that raised Jesus dwell where in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth where in you. So how did Jesus come out of spiritual and physical death? He came out by the power of what? The spirit. Glory to God. All right, to further answer what I'm explaining now, look at 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18. It says, nevertheless, when you shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. 17, everybody read, it says what? Now the Lord is what? Ah, now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Now look at verse 18. This is where we are going. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as what? So that means who is the image? Talk to me now. Who is the image? Who is the image? The Spirit of the Lord. Praise God. So, just as, pay attention, just as the idol is what the pagan sees to represent the demonic spirits they have not seen, in the same way, the Spirit of God is who we have that represents the Jesus we have not seen. Come on now. Come on now. So, how do we know we belong to Jesus and we will see Jesus again? Because we have his image. What is his image? His Spirit. Praise the Lord. Is this clear? Come on, is this clear? So because we have his spirit, we have his image. Because we have his spirit, which is the proof of his existence. Because to the pagan, the salem of a God was proof that that God existed. 
Now, I saw a, I saw a very interesting story. <laughs> you know, this coronavirus is really amazing. <laughs> really amazing. I saw this story. I don't know how true it is. Maybe someone edited your stuff. But you know, in India, a lot of people are dying from coronavirus. They say it's coronavirus. Some ministers of God are saying it's 5G. So we can never tell. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, glory to God. Hallelujah. Can we tell? No, no. I don't work in the text, so we don't know. So we don't know. Can't tell. So I was seeing, I saw a video where the Indians were throwing their idols because they were trusting those idols to protect them from the virus. So you see, the devil is a bastard. How can something you bought from the market, the image of Buddha, you bought it. You bought it, then you put it in your house. Then you now began to bow to it. The, it can't clean after itself. If your child spit on it, you have to come and clean the spit. It can't clean itself. That's why the Bible calls it, they corrupted themselves. They degraded themselves. For God had ordained for them to be born after the image of who? Of God. But they made themselves subject to image of the likeness of natural mortal things. So God calls it a corruption. Hallelujah. They are the image of the image of the Son is the spirit of the Son. This image of the Son is the spirit of the Son. Say aloud, I have the image of the Son. Now, now listen, this is, see, when we're talking about eternal salvation, praise the Lord. This is why the believer is not going to hell. I don't know, do you understand? Oh, hallelujah. Okay, hold on. The believer is the image of the Son. Now, let me show you one more thing. Ephesians 1. And verse 11 into 13, you're not going to find out that another expression is used to talk about the image. Remember, the icon, we talked about this, the, the image of Caesar on the coin. Right? You know that it was imprinted on it. Correct? It was imprinted on it, right? Such that anyone who saw it would say, oh, this is a Roman coin. See Caesar's face. So we can use it as a legal tender. Correct? Now look how this is. Ephesians 1, 11. It says, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Right? What is that inheritance? What is that inheritance? Is the inheritance Canaan? Is what? The spirit. All right? In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Verse 12. Now says, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. 13. All right? In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word, the word of truth, the gospel of what? Your salvation, in whom also after ye believed, ye were what? Now, that word sealed is the Greek's phragizo. Right? Phragizo. Now, you need to understand what phragizo is. In, um, in the Roman kingdom, 
Are you taking notes, young man? Aha, good. Yeah, everybody's taking notes. Praise God. Don't be looking seriously. Be taking notes. For me that you are doing something. Everybody's taking notes. Glory to God. <laughs> Glory to God. Now, in the Roman kingdom, they operated in such a way that they were, they were, um, they were, Roman was, Rome was a republic. After it became a it was a republic, then later on, all right, it became an empire with an emperor as the head. Now, there was something called the seal. How many of you have, know what a seal is? Come on, how many of you know what a seal is? You know, when you seal something, you are saying you don't open it except you are authorized to open it. Is that correct? Is that correct? Now, how many of you have seen the seal of the Federal Republic of Nigeria? They'll put the seal on it. You understand? And, you know, that seal was the authority or the insignia, the image of the Republic. Amen? Now, when Jesus was buried, they put him into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. But what did they tell us was now done? The Bible says that they put soldiers to guard it. Then they did what? They sealed. That means they put a Roman seal on that grave. Praise God. So the way the Roman seal will have, it will have the image of the emperor on the seal. What that meant was when you saw it, you couldn't go inside. Because he's saying that it is the emperor that sealed this thing. So you could not fragizo a thing without the image. Oh, hallelujah. Are you following? You could not fragizo a thing without the image. So you couldn't seal it without the image of the authority sealing it. Glory to God. I may have seen a house that has been sealed. Maybe there's a contention, something, something, something. You know that they will put some information for you to know who sealed it. That information is the seal. Of the property. So if you went there and you broke that seal, it meant that you have gone against the authority there. Is this clear? Is this clear? So now when he says, in whom ye also trusted after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, in whom also that after that ye believed, ye were what? Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That seal, what he's telling you is the seal is the image of God. After you believed, what happened? The image of the sun was planted in your heart. Because the image of the sun is the seal. Glory to God. Glory to God. So in him, after also that he believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the sealing with the Holy Spirit of promise is the same thing as saying you were brought into the promised land. Glory to God. Is the same thing as saying you were what? Born again. Is the same thing as saying you were baptized into the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Is the same thing as saying you were joined into the Holy Ghost. Are you following what I'm talking about here? So that sealing is the bearing of the image of the Son. Now, just as it could only take the authority of the Roman government. To break a seal. No other person could break it. Glory to God. 
This sealing with the Holy Spirit of promise is an action that cannot be undone. Do you understand? You can't undo it. Because he sealed. By whose authority? The authority of the one who has all authority in heaven, in earth, and where? Under the earth. The one who said all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. His name is who? Jesus. The one he said, I am the one that have the keys of death and hell. I shut and no one can open. I open, no one can what? Shut. So nobody can go against his authorization to seal a man with his spirit. And he has declared, all a man needs to be sealed with the spirit is to what? Believe. Is this clear? Come on, is this clear? Say aloud, I carry God's seal on my heart. I bear in my heart the image of the Son. Praise the Lord. I said, Praise the Lord. Come on, is this clear? Is this clear? Let's look at another place of the image, 2 Corinthians 4. Like I always tell you. One of the trainings for ministry is your ability to sit in a meeting, a teaching meeting, and listen to a teaching for a while. To stay in a prayer meeting and tarry in prayer. It's what? Training. It is what? Training. Imagine if you went for uh, outreach somewhere and they arrested you. And they didn't like to take a Bible. How will you have quiet time? How many of you practice doing quiet time without a Bible? Sometimes you just say, and you're just memor- going to the scriptures. You understand? And discussing scriptures. Sometimes in my house, I do it. I'm talking to myself. I talk to myself a lot. I talk scriptures to myself a lot. I reason it. I just talk to myself. So why? You understand? Thank God my wife understands. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 2 Corinthians 4. It says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Verse 2. Everybody read it. says what? But I have renounced the indignities of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Verse 3. Everybody read one to go. It says what? For if our gospel be it, it is it to them that are lost. Verse 4. It says, in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not, Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is what? The icon of God. You see that? All right. Should shine unto them. So I think we've explained this clearly. The icon of God is who? Christ. The icon of the Son is who? The Spirit. Is this clear? Is this clear? So we bear the image of the Son in us by the indwelling of the spirit. So in the new creation, in the believer, Genesis 1.26 is what? Fulfilled. Genesis 1.26 is fulfilled. Genesis 1.26 is fulfilled. So we find that Genesis 1 was God showing us, all right, his plan for all men to bear the image of his son. Because... All right, he's showing us that. 
Then he starts up in Genesis 1 by showing us the current state of the earth as the earth was without form and void. That means men were in darkness. Then 26, he's showing us how he's going to remedy the solution. Uh, remedy the situation. How is it going to remedy the situation? By bringing about a recreation of the earth. Hallelujah. All right. By offering eternal life to all men on earth in Christ Jesus. So the recreation, all right, was going to be in Christ. Because the first creation was to be in Christ, but men rejected the offer. So in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, God now shows us through Moses what happened, how we got to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. How many of you understand? So it shows us the journey to unbelief and the journey into what? Darkness. Praise God. All right. It shows us how Adam, all right, fell and how Adam and Eve disobeyed. So it shows us the story into void, um, null and, um, uh, uh, without form and void. And darkness upon the face of the deep, he shows us. Then he now, in Genesis 3, shows us a prophecy where he says that the seed of the woman shall what? Bruise the head of the serpent. Showing you, all right, that a seed of the woman was coming. Who was going to bring about the fulfillment of Genesis 1, what? 26. It's all there. Glory to God. I said it's all there. Amen. So, like we've said, all right, the idol, all right, all those, you know, idols were a likeness of the spirit of darkness, the prince of the power of the air. The idol itself, the image itself is nothing. Because no man had seen God at any time. Hallelujah. John chapter 1 verse 18. So no man can build an image of God to represent him except the one who dwells in his bosom, which is Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 shows us that God is invincible, but Jesus is the visible image of this invisible God. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we are now going to now do kind of like a recap of where we were yesterday and, you know, go deeper into it. Now, what did we say Canaan represented in the New Testament? The Spirit. Is that correct? So the promised land is what? The receiving of the Spirit, the image of God, the sealing of the Holy Ghost of promise. Then what did Egypt represent? What did Egypt represent? The kingdom of darkness. What does Pharaoh represent? The prince of darkness. Praise God. And what did Abraham represent? The heir of the covenant. And Abraham's seed represented what? Christ. We see in Galatians 3.16, Colossians 1.12 to 13. All right. Now. Many times when you are reading the Old Testament, because we are not going to get to the battles in Canaan, understanding them. How many of you have wondered, I'm born again, but I have struggles. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Ah, they said if I got born again, all these things will end, but I have struggles. I'm born again, but I see I'm dealing and battling with lusts. I'm born again. Before I got born again, as a lady, I used to masturbate. Now, I'm, I'm, after I got born again, I'm still dealing with masturbation. All right, what's going on? I'm, I have the spirit in my heart. I'm born again. Is it normal to still have these struggles? Is it normal to have these challenges? What's going on? Praise God. I still have this thing I'm dealing with. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Is it normal? So how do we know the answer to that question? Let's ask ourselves a question. When the children of Israel got to Canaan, all right, as in the scripture tells us that all of the people there, all right, they threw out the red carpet. 
Right? Correct? And they began to sing for them. You are welcome to the promised land. We will live for you. You are welcome to the promised land. We will get away. You are welcome. Is that what, they, is that what happened? <laughs> for the Lord has said, it's yours. Come and take it away. Is that what happened? No. The children of Israel, on arriving at the promised land, had to what? Fight. They had to what? Fight. They had to fight for every territory. But there was contention in the land. They had to drive out from the territory everything that did not agree with the covenant. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. They had to contend. Glory to God. Now we're going to come back to that. So just hold it somewhere. Because you will find out that Paul, in speaking of this, calls it the contention between the flesh and the spirit. The contention between the what? The, so, so in Canaan, the flesh was there. Hallelujah. The spirit has been given, yeah, you got the promise, oh, oh, amen, but the flesh was there. So from the Old Testament allegory, Canaan, though it was the promised land, arriving at Canaan was not the end of the story. Come on now, praise God. How many of you see that? It wasn't the end of the story. They still needed pastors like Samuel. They needed leaders like David. Amen. This is why in the New Testament, once you come into Christ, once you are sealed with the Spirit, part and parcel of the things that you are given in Christ's fivefold ministry gifts. Oh, hallelujah. I don't you understand what I'm saying. Fivefold ministry gifts. Because they are the ones that will teach you and guide you in how you should conduct your affairs in the land. Praise God. We will get the hold on. Let's look at Let's continue. Please. How many of you are with us so far? How many of you have not dropped Atodu Elegba? You are still in the journey. Let me see hand. You are with us so far. All right. Praise God. Those of you at the back, may you not be back in Jesus' name. Oh. And may you come forward in Jesus' name. Oh. All right. May your position in the hall be how God is going to push you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Like you say, Yoruba, I need the rain, you. Glory to God. <laughs> so, if you are having challenges in, 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 in Canaan, you have one or two things you are dealing with. It's normal. What did I say? It's normal. In the allegories, we saw that the Abraham seed was Christ. Then we saw that the, you know, the Jews had to contend. We said we'll come to that later. Now, so we have seen that the Exodus was translation from light to darkness, Colossians 1, 12 to 13, correct? And from night to day, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5. Let's turn into 1 Thessalonians 5, 5. 
Because later now, we are going to go to now look at covenant. What does a covenant mean? We will now answer why Jesus had to die. You see, guys, the reason why we are doing all of this is because before we start talking about Holy Spirit, we're talking about gift of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, we need to sort this one out first. Are you following? You have to sort. How did we get to the Spirit? Amen? Yeah. Before you start singing songs like, cast me not away. You know, you know, funny questions like that. You, you, know, sing, you, you know, you sing stupid songs like that. We need you to understand the covenant. Why that covenant is solid. And why it's a covenant that cannot be broken. Praise God. Then you now begin to say, ask yourself a question. Is it right for you to be saying things like, I'm a child of the covenant? What are you saying? Amen? What are you, what do you, you understand? I have a covenant relationship with the Almighty God. How do you mean? Like, are you Abraham or what? Because what do you mean? What are you talking about? What covenant? Because according to scripture, the agreement has been fulfilled. As we will see. God has met his end. So which covenant are you talking about? The testator died. Hallelujah. And he has fulfilled what? Amen. The covenant on activation is to fulfill. What was that? The indwelling of what? Of the spirit. So when you say you're a covenant child, what do you mean? What are you saying? Praise God. You see, this is the reason why you cannot be thinking like the, you cannot read the Old Testament like the man without the spirit. Because the allegories in the Old Testament have been substantiated in the New. So you cannot now be the talking like, you understand, the man without the spirit. No. Glory to God. There are certain things that people walk with. It works in spite of their ignorance. It doesn't make it correct. Are you following what I'm saying? It doesn't make it what? Correct. It doesn't make it correct. So in doctrine, we need to teach what is correct. Now, oh, somebody prayed, oh God of Femi Allah, the covenant with that our father Allah, and the answer, and I don't have any covenant apart from the new covenant with God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Because Paul did not have a special one. Peter didn't have a special one. Amen. And to the best of my knowledge, neither did John. Praise God. So when you are not having a special covenant, you understand. See, that's why you must be careful never ever to build Bible doctrine on experiences. It is the most dangerous. <laughs> it's very dangerous. Then you must not make the Bible an all-purpose book. I was, I was um, listening to a man of God that I love and respect just earlier this morning. I just stumbled on it on YouTube. I said, let me listen. I said, listen, very popular man. Very popular. Very, there's something I found about the, our generation. I, 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 it's, it's fine. Maybe. You know, sometimes there's a grace at work in someone. So people respond, respond to that grace, right? All right. Doesn't make the message correct. So, very popular. And 
he was talking and was saying that not everybody on the earth that looks human are human. Okay? And he was saying that. That's why Jesus never preached the gospel to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That because though they look human, they were not human. I said, okay, wait a minute. Where are you going with this? Where are you going with this? Then he now went on and now went on to talk about demonic spirits. And when he now went and said, they're called watchers and gatekeepers. I knew the book he was reading from. He wasn't reading from the 66 books of the Bible. He wasn't reading from the 66 books of the Bible. So when he said that, I said, okay, I know where he's coming from. This guy was reading the book of Enoch. And he was taking the wordings in the book of Enoch as doctrine. And was now using it to lead children of God in prayer. That they should be praying against the watchers in their family. You understand what I'm talking about? That's dangerous. So you have to be very careful. Listen to me. Discernment is a very important aspect of Christian maturity. Because you will not know, but there are a lot of teachings out there that have missed new age. You are new age? They've mixed new age with the gospel. Ah, if you are not, if you are not discerning, you won't see it. New age. Where you be hearing someone telling you that man in his natural was not created to die. He will live forever. You know all this kind of stuff. Extending and taking the gospel of eternal life to an extreme. The Bible never promised you that you will not die in your natural body. Never promised you that. Praise God. He promised you a new resurrection. The resurrection of your body if you die. Doesn't promise you. So new age has entered it. You'll not be hearing vibration, frequency. Confessing the word to a particular frequency. You'll be hearing, hey, when you are hearing stuff like that, brother, that's new age, Joe. Confessing, like, say it, say it again and again. You know, when you're not, it's, you are, it's new age you are entering, no? Praise God. You have to be discerning. Because, you see, what, what I find that in this desire to be spiritual, you want to be spiritual, you're not behind portals. I will open a portal for you. How many of you people say, I will open a portal for you? A dimension. I will, ah, 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 ah. Do you know what we are dealing with? When you start talking like that, you are entering strange places. You have your portal, gates, doorway. Be careful. <laughs> Be very, very careful. Because those statements on those Ligua Franca, you are seen there. It's not Bible they got it from. No man who is reading Bible alone, he will come up with those things. They are mixing stuff. They are reading other, you understand? You hear deep things, you know, all these deep things. Mystery. Can you come? Hey, be, hey, anyway, is that all I'll say? If you like, listen, don't listen to your business. The, when the message is beginning to be exoteric, hallelujah, 
when it becomes is beginning to be exoteric, be very, very careful. Things they can't prove from scripture. They say oh, it's deep. Oh, the man of God has gone beyond all these levels. It's deep. Mm. <laughs> Hallelujah. You understand? This hunger, this hunger for dimension, hunger for portal. Oh my. Hey. 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 Some have gone mad for me to be careful. Pray in the spirit. Read your Bible. Preach the gospel. Flow in the things of the spirit. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Don't go and be doing funny stuff. Okay, my said, I opened the portal all over this life. I will close it. Ah. Mm. One of these days, I'm going to do a series on New Ageism. Praise God. New Ageism, New Age thoughts. And now you can identify it. It is very, see, it, is, it, has, hey, it has entered the world of faith. Oh. Most of what people call faith is New Age. Oh. New Age. It's my will. New Age focuses on you. There's no God's leading. You understand? God's way is you. To my, me, me, me. And there's a lot of materialism in New Age thoughts. Let me leave it. Let me go back to what I'm teaching. Hallelujah. Praise God. It is well in Jesus' name. Never be careless to just accept any teaching and be shouting, wow, wow, like ambulance. Calm down. <laughs> be shouting, wow. Better calm down and study what the person is actually saying. The truth is not based on how popular the person who said it is. It must be checked via the word. I always give people better of the doubt. I will listen to you well. And one of the challenges, and one of the major challenges with many ministers is they preach a lot. They don't have time to study. So they just rehearse and refurbish rubbish. When you blow, you don't be talking rubbish. I, I when somebody carry mic and he's talking for one and a half hours and we have no open Bible. What are you saying? Can I bless you? What are you saying? Let us, what? Do you understand? What are you? Let's okay, let's see it. You just see, see. Before you know it, Peter has entered here, then gone here. I'm like, wait a minute. What are you saying? Why are people afraid of the Bible? You're afraid of the Bible. You shouldn't be afraid of the Bible. Glory to God. I said, glory to God. I said, glory to God. Mm. Praise God. Is well. You can't even say it is well. A lot of false prophets are in the in the in the neighborhood. I was watching someone recently. I was telling my wife, this guy was talking to married women, and he was advising them that 
the married women should not disturb their husband that were unfaithful, that they are it's their nature, that they are hunters. Yeah. That they are hunters. That they can they will they will that they have wait I'm coming. That they cannot they cannot but do. And there were get brethren, there were hundreds of thousands of people there. And he was saying it, and he, his brain was not saying, what am I saying? <laughs> then there were other prophets there that were doing their hand like this. Yes. I couldn't understand what was going on. Praise the Lord. I was like, Is it, are these guys of the Bible or what? Praise God. That, you know, if you just, just let him be. That he's a man, he's a name. Praise God. So if you hear that that prophet, first of all, if you as a man, that's your church, you are a foolish man. Because your wife is not safe. You know how women are. Man of God, man of God, man of God. Before you go, and what's the explanation? Uh-uh. Didn't David take Bathsheba? They will twist the thing for you. Ah, guys, when you attend church, don't be an idiot too. There are consequences. Ha! There are consequences. So there are funny places around. That means I'm with fear. I'm, I'm worried that I. I <laughs> come here, I don't want to be joking, but I, ah! You can't know Christ and be saying some things. There are some things that can't come out of your mouth. Ha! Can you just be talking sin and you're now, you know, on tar, you know? Just be talking like that. Praise God. So we, you have to be very discerning. And many of you that are like, you like jumping from program to program. Any small thing, they, they've seen you somewhere. You are always, you, are, you understand? God will help you one day. One day. Everybody is putting hand on your head. You have many daddies. You understand? Papa, this one is Papa. This one is Papa. This one is Papa. This one is Papa. You understand? You understand? Papa, everybody is Papa. Put a uh, prophesy for me. Don't worry. Glory to God. Teach your bon bon one, please. Amen. Sit down one, please. Stop this. Your the, the. come sit down. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. So, First Thessalonians 5 5. He says, um, Let's have from verse 4. Hallelujah. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. Notice that that day should overtake you as a thief. Now, verse 5 now says, Ye are all children of what? Light. And the children of day, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. So, we see that there was, uh, in Christ Jesus, there's a translation from darkness into what? Into light. Hallelujah. Then in Romans chapter 8 from verse 1 to 16, we see that in Christ Jesus, there's a translation also from the flesh to the spirit. From the flesh to the spirit. Look at Romans 8.1. Let's just look at it together. You know, there are some folks, they won't sit down in a church like this. But when they have problem, they will come. 
You understand? Come and help me. Do you not have decided to be doing now? All right? Everybody's pastor should carry their problem. You understand? Everybody's. <laughs> That's what I'm Everybody's. Don't come and be tensioning me. Everybody should carry <laughs> their problem. <laughs> because if I didn't teach the rubbish, I shouldn't come and clean the mess. Praise God. Ah, I shouldn't clean the mess. Ah, Tony. I, I, what is the problem? Romans <laughs> 8.1. Everybody read it. What does it say? It says what? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in what? Christ Jesus. Who walk not what? After the flesh, but after the spirit. We've said this word. This is not originally in the word, in the originals. But we've said also it does not affect what we are saying. Because after the flesh means those who are unbelieving, and after the Spirit is those who are what? Born again. Now, verse 2. Everybody read. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from what? The law of sin and death. Now, notice contrast, right? After the Spirit, after the flesh, Spirit of life, sin and death. Are you seeing that? So, there are two places, all right? They're contrasting between two places. Now, verse 3 says what? For what the Lord could not do in that he was weak, what? Through what? The flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin where? In the flesh. Verse 4. It now says that the righteousness of the Lord might be fulfilled in us who walk not afterward the flesh, but afterward the spirit. Now you're seeing that. All right? So the righteousness of the Lord is fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Walk not there is not talking about behavior after salvation. That's not what I'm saying. All right? The man who is walking after the flesh is the one who is what? The natural man. The one who has not believed the gospel. The man who is walking after. Notice he did not say but in the spirit. He says after. So after is talking about pattern. Praise God. Are you following? After is pattern. So just like the, it's basically saying that the righteousness of the Lord might be fulfilled in us, who bear the image of the Spirit? Basically, that's what he's saying. Glory to God. The righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us. So after the flesh will be the image of the natural man, and after the Spirit is the image of what? Of the Son of God. Are you following? Praise God. So this is not talking about behavior. After the flesh is talking about nature. Glory to God. Notice it never says walk after the, after the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. No, it says walk in the spirit. So walk after and walk in don't mean the same thing. Is this clear? Because many <laughs> of you have noticed that many times when we come to Romans 8, when they get here, they begin to think that he's talking conduct. Praise the Lord. After, that is you know, type, that is talking about, um, what do you call it, likeness. That is talking about uh, um, nature. Glory to God. It's talking about the Genesis principle. Everything we produce afterward is kind. You follow? So it's talking about after his kind. It's talking about after his image. So after the spirit, is talking about the kind of the spirit. The lineage of the spirit. The image of the spirit. After the flesh, he's talking about the kind of the flesh and the image of the flesh. Is this clear? 
So it says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, what is the righteousness of the law? The righteousness of the law is the righteous requirement of the law. What was the righteous requirement of the law? The wages of sin is what? Is death. The man that sins must what? Die. So the sacrifice of Jesus, glory to God, the death of Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement of what? Of the law. So the righteous requirement and the sentence of death was righteous. It was not, a, um, it was not an evil um, uh, request of law. The law saying, the soul that sin it shall die is righteous. That's justice. But he's saying that that requirement is fulfilled in us. Why? Because Jesus paid what? The penalty. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And for those of us who bear the image of the spirit, that requirement is fulfilled in us. How? We are the ones that are beneficiaries of what? The sacrifice of Jesus. The blessing of Abraham. So the fact that we have the spirit shows that what? The righteous requirement of the law has been already satisfied in us. Through who? The sacrifice of Jesus. Clear? He said the righteous law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the people have the spirit? Look at verse 5. He says what? For they that are what? Now are you seeing that example again? That is... Kind, after the kind. After the flesh, do mind the things of the flesh. All right? But they that are after the spirit, the what? The things of the spirit. All right. Now, verse 6. It says, for to be what? Carnally minded is dead. Now, the carnal minded here is not referring to the believer. The word carnal there is sakikos. Glory to God. He's talking about the man with unbelief. Carnal minded means unbelief is in his mind. The carnal minded is death. So look at, look at the expression. The wages of sin is what? Is death. For by one man, sin entered into the world and what? And death by sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever what? Believeth in him should not what? Perish. So that means there is a perishing and a death in unbelief. So, unbelief, death. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Sin, death. So that means everything that has to do with the carnal mind has to do with unbelief and has to do with the sin nature. Come on, is this, is this clear? So when he says, for the way carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is what? Life and what? And peace. The word peace is Irene. Glory to God. Look at Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Quickly. We are coming back to Romans 8. Spiritually minded is what? Zoe and Irene. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace. So the man who is justified has what? Peace. So the justified man is the spiritually minded man. Is this clear? The justified man is the spiritually minded man because the justified man has what? Irene. Then he says, the spiritually minded is life and peace. Life is away. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Everlasting life there is Ionos what? Zoe. So the spiritually minded man is the man who has believed on who? On Jesus. Believed on the gospel. Is this clear? Is this clear? I said, is this clear? 
All right, good. Now go back. Now look at verse 7. It now says in 7, because the carnal mind is enmity. It's an enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Obviously, it's not talking about a Christian. Now, now, eight, verse 8 now says, so then, data, uh -huh, notice now, he has moved to carnal mind to now saying, so then, they that are where? In the flesh. Cannot what? Please God. Are you in the flesh? Oh, let the scripture answer. Next verse, verse 9. But ye are not where? Ye are not where? Ah, but pastor, I always like doing, you know, ah, some things you always do me. He say you are not in the flesh. Praise God. But you are not in the flesh. But where? In the spirit. If so, be that who? The spirit of God dwell where? In you. Say out loud, I'm in the spirit. I'm in the, spirit. the spirit of God dwells in me. Ah, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Praise God. Remember, if any man have not, have not, have, is a use is used to describe possession. Something that is your own. Now, in the Old Testament, notice when they entered into the promised land, they were to divide the land and give it to them as what? An inheritance. It was their own, their possession. Glory to God. In the New Testament, our inheritance is the Spirit. So our inheritance is not the land. Our inheritance is God. Ay. Oh, remember when Lot separated from Abraham? God, God said to Abraham, he said, look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, and look to the west. He says, as far as your eyes can see, it is yours. How far could Abraham's eyes see? God wasn't talking about the land. Because land has limits. When God was talking to Abraham, he was talking sea. There is no limit to your possession. Are you following? There's no, that's why I tell them, look at the sky. Look at the, can you count the star? He's saying you can't count it, Abi. Can you count the sand? Can, you can't count it again. That's your possession. That's what's your seed. So basically what God is telling Abraham is this. I am your inheritance. The spirit is what I'm giving you. I'm giving you myself. Hallelujah. So it says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Look at verse 10. It now says in 10, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. Uh-huh. But the spirit is life because of what? Notice the body is dead though. I remember one of, one of my mentors used to say, that, and if Christ be in you, the body though dead, because of sin, the spirit gives it life. That's not what he's saying. Praise God. Because he talks about the spirit giving life in 11. But he talks about it in the context of what? Of what? Of what? Two things. Giving life to your mortal body, but he likens it to resurrection. In that how the spirit raised Jesus from the dead, he will raise you up too. Praise God. Aha. Uh -huh. 
Alright, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. 11 now says what? If that same spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also what? Quicken mortal bodies by his spirit that what? Dwelleth in you. Praise God. So, the truth about the Bible, I know many of you may be hearing some messages where they're talking about agelessness, deathlessness, something like that. I respect the person who taught it, but that is not in your natural body. You have not yet received your resurrected body. Glory to God. Your natural body is not ageless. Oh. Amen. Your natural body is not deathless. Oh. It's natural. There is a resurrection we are still looking forward to. The redemption of our bodies. Our bodies have not yet been redeemed. Oh. Before someone goes and climbs off a 31-story building and says, I'm ageless. No. <laughs> Doctrines have consequences, oh. Hmm. Someone like that was heard a message in the Holy Ghost meeting and said, You know, now all those messages, they be like, Can you? Look at me, that is who I am. Oh, rabba, 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 yeah. Then robbers came to the house. And he, the mother, he was, he was this, and he was telling them, Shoot me, shoot me, shoot. The mother slapped him, Sit down. What about that, Lord Joe? I'm a wabia more, Joe. Hallelujah. When you wake up in the morning and you do your body like this, does sound come out? Uh uh, why are you lying? I'm talking of, doesn't some death come out of your body? Is that not why you have your bath? Praise the Lord. Do you sweat? Uh -huh. How many of you, when you run, you get tired? How many of you get hungry? Then you are not ageless. Praise the Lord. The fact that you feel hungry is proof that you are not ageless. Your body has not yet been what? Redeemed. In your new body, you don't eat to live. You eat for pleasure. So you can go without food in your resurrected body. In your resurrected body, you will eat. Because Jesus ate in his own body. He ate fish and bread. Afis is very happy. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Now verse 12. Uh, look, uh, uh, most ministers that say they will live forever, they always died. That's one thing I always... They will die. It's not, I'm not, it's, it's just the Bible. I mean, I mean, I heard many ministers say I will live to 120. Many faith ministers, they died before they were 90. But the truth about it is that in the eyes of God, they slept. They live forever in his presence. So you see, when the Bible says, with long life will I satisfy you, he's talking of eternal life. That long life, there is eternal life. With long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. That's eternal life. Because this earth is corrupt. It's passing away. Praise the Lord. See, God doesn't see you. You see things. You are, we see things a lot from the perspective of our flesh. You understand? So a man is 90, he said, I want to go on. And God's like, what's wrong with this? Come home, Joe. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Is this why some people, if they see glory, they will just look at their family. Why? Get out, Jerry. Let me be going. Why? Because that's why sometimes, even in visions, God doesn't show you too much. Yes, because it's addictive. It's addictive. You want to see it again. Somebody in this Buhari period, God is not showing him heaven. 
Amen. This boy. <laughs> yeah, the visions must not be too heavenly. Because you want to move to the new economy. Amen. Therefore, brethren, we adapt us not to the flesh. To live after the flesh. Now, verse 13, he now says, For if you live after the flesh, you shall what? Die. Now, what death is he talking about here? It's physical death. You understand? Because now he says, brethren. You understand? If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall what? Live. So you must now look at the context of this die and live. He's not talking spiritual death here because these guys have passed from death to life. Praise God. Uh-huh. Now look at verse 14. It now says, For as many as are what? Led by the Spirit of God, they are what? The sons of God. Now that word led there is the Greek ago. It means to be transported. So that means if it says as many as are led by the Spirit of God, we have to ask where were we coming from and where has it taken us to? Praise God. All right. Where, has it, where are we coming from and where has it taken us to? All right. Next verse 15 now says what? For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of what? Adoption, whereby we cry what? Abba Father. So that means he has taken us from bondage to what? To sonship. Glory to God. He has taken us from what? From flesh to what? The spirit. Hallelujah. All right. If we read in context. So we see also that the redemption, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ brought us from what? From the flesh to the spirit. It brought us from what? Slaves to sin towards sonship. All right. With God. Praise God. So say out loud, I'm a son. I am a son. I'm no longer a slave. I am a son of God. Hallelujah. All right, let's try and wrap it up quickly now. Now let's look at the concept of covenant. Genesis 15. Uncle Bami is very experienced in these things. They're already passing sweets around. Praise God. I just pray people will not pass sweet around soon. <laughs> or small chops. <laughs> Genesis 15 and verse 1. Are we there? Those of you that are Man City's fans. It has been declared by the watchers and the gatekeepers. <laughs> to the end that the bowed one be not overly lifted up in pride. He shall lose the final to bring him to the earth so he can know that the everlasting Lord, the King of glory, Roulette over the affairs of UEFA. <laughs> it's determined. No intercession can change it. <laughs> so says the spirit of PF. Before you go and say, I said the Holy Ghost said it. I go and say, we want to cast fake pastor. Genesis 15, verse 1. Now, let's look at it. It says, after these things, he says, as you are standing up and shaking your hand, and he's training. 
Praise God. Don't now use it to go to the toilet and sit down in the toilet or go outside to go and catch um, count breeze. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision. Saying, fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy word, exceeding great reward. Verse 2, everybody read it, says what? That I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Elias of Damascus. Verse 3 says what? And Abraham said, Behold to, me, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is my hair. Verse 4. It now says, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thy heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thy heir. Verse 5. It now says, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, If thou be able to number them, and he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. Verse 6. It now says, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for what? For righteousness. Next verse. It now says what? And he said, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Europe, the child is to give thee this land to what? Inherit it. Verse 8 now says, and he said, the Lord God, he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Now, next verse. And he said unto him, take me an ifa of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Verse 10. All right. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid this piece one against another, but the bears divided it not. 11. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Next 12. It now says, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and lo, an aura of great darkness fell upon him. Next verse. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them, what, four hundred years. 14. All right. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards they shall come out with what great substance. Next. All right, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. 16. All right, but in the fourth generation, they shall come eater again, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet full. Next. All right. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. So now, God cuts a covenant with Abraham here. You understand? Now, let us define what a covenant is. Now, first of all, I want to show you something very important in that the children of Israel were the ones that entered the promised land as owners, as inheritors. But Abraham stayed in the promised land as a stranger. Amen. Amen. It's typology. The promised land is the spirit, correct? It, right? The Spirit. Now, did the Old Testament saints have dealings with the Holy Ghost? But did he indwell them? No. So that means, though they had operations in the Spirit, they never had the Spirit of God as their inheritance. So the Spirit never came to dwell. The Spirit never made them his temple. But they were like strangers in the land. Praise the Lord. Are you following? They were like strangers in the land. So they, 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 they prophesied via the Spirit upon them. The Spirit of God, oh God, come on them and lift. Come on them and lift. Praise God. All right? They were not new natures. They were not new creatures because they were like Abraham in that land, strangers. Praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. Uh -huh. But the descendants that took possession of the life, the, the, the figure of speech is referring to us. 
who have what? Inherited what? The Spirit. We own. We've come into our inheritance. Are you seeing that? So you can see that allegory. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, let's look at it. Covenant. What does the covenant mean? The word covenant is the Hebrew word berith. Berith. That is B-E-R-I-T-H. Genesis 17 and verse 1, you see another emphasis of the establishment of the covenant. I think we should read it. All right. Berith means an alliance. An alliance, a pledge, or a contract. Now, it's important because, you see, in this day and age, when I say contract or a covenant, you know the way me and you enter a covenant now? We call our lawyer. Lawyer will draft something. Then we'll go through it. I will sign my part. You sign your part. Abby? Uh-huh. In those days, they didn't do it like that. Now, God is not the one who invented covenants. Covenant is something men do. It, was, it is men that go into covenants. But because of what God wanted to achieve, God had to now come to man's level. Are you following? And use something men do that men understand. Abraham understands covenants. If you study, you will find out in Genesis, there were several other times Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob entered into covenants with men. To show you that covenanting was something men were used to doing. Men entered into agreements, alliances, pledges with each other. So God now used what men understood and used the way they understood it. Then comes to enter into a covenant with a man. And let the man know that I will keep this covenant the way you understand covenants will be kept. Is anybody following this? I'm going to keep this covenant with you the way you understand covenants to be kept. Now, how did they do covenants in those days? It was simple. Let me just show it to you. How did they keep covenants in those days? I think I'll stop by one who stop. I think that's now three and a half hours. Praise God. Amen. So you can go and rest before work tomorrow. This is our government. God will bless them in Jesus' name. They couldn't even see the moon right. Ah! Amen. Just moon, no. They are not the ones seeing it too. Somebody will tell them, oh, we've seen it, oh, we've not seen it, oh. Calm down, eh? Praise the Lord. <laughs> so in the old times, a covenant was entered in a particular way. So when people came, two people came together to enter into a covenant, they did it this way. Pay attention. Number one, there were terms of the covenant. Terms. Basically, what was agreed. Number two, each party had obligations which is what they are responsible for. Amen? Hmm. So, the third thing is, those terms and the agreement had to be ratified with blood. 
especially in the cases of in the case of a blood covenant. The covenant between God and Abraham was a blood covenant. It was not just any kind of covenant. There is covenant of salts. Then there is blood covenant. So which means it was a covenant entered into where blood was shed, hallelujah, to ratify that covenant. I will show that to you. So they ratified the covenant with blood, either by human blood or animal blood. Praise God. If you watch some of these um, uh, series, there's one I watch. What's the name of that one I watch? Um, of Odin and stuff. Um, the Vikings, yes. I watch some of those series more for their cultural, educative value more than the other stuff they show. Because you make me investigate and stuff. When they want to end a covenant, you see that somebody will cut himself. They, they, they will now do something. You lick, drink my blood, I drink your blood. So that, that was, that's how they entered into covenant. Praise God. Don't go and lick someone's blood. I have just said. <laughs> Maybe Victor wants to review and um, ask uh, Valerie to marry him. <laughs> so that it can be more binding. <laughs> <laughs> ah, praise God. You want to break up with me? You I drank your blood. Are you drank my blood? <laughs> praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. So they ratified the covenant. With blood, either human blood or animal blood, covenants were entered into with blood for it to be a blood covenant. Now look at Exodus chapter 24, then we read Genesis 17. Exodus 24 and verse 1. Are you following so far? Cynthia, are you with us? Are you following? All right. Genesis, I'm sorry, Exodus 24 and verse 1. And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadam and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. Verse 2, everybody read it, says what? And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come, not, and neither shall the people go up with him. Verse 3, says what? And Moses, what? All the words of the Lord and all judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. Very arrogant. All right, verse 4. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and rose up early in the morning and builded an altar under the hill. All right, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And verse five, he says, and he went and he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings. Notice, oh, notice. All right, and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. All right, verse six. All right, and Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood is sprinkled on what? On the altar, verse 7, and he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said, we will do and be what? Obedient. So, this is talking, this is where you have the old covenant was enacted. Remember, the Abrahamic covenant is different from the old covenant. Remember, I've taught you that before. So, this covenant was between God and Israel, not God and Abraham. So, you can see that it was dedicated with what? With blood. But you will notice something. That though the covenanting. Pay attention everybody. Though the covenanting was between God. 
and the nation of Israel, whose blood was provided? Who provided the blood? Eh? Which Moses? Yeah, the nation of Israel provided blood. Is that correct? So the question is this. If the both of them were entering into a covenant, the nation of Israel provided their blood. Where was God's blood? Because in a blood covenant, both parties were to provide blood. To seal the covenant. Because the way a blood covenant worked was that you were saying, if I fail in my parts, I will give my life. If you fail in your parts, you will give your life. So when you gave blood, you were saying you are guaranteeing this agreement. With what? With your life. That's why when any Jew broke the law of Moses, what was supposed to happen? Death. That's why the Bible calls the covenant of, uh, the, the old covenant, the ministration of what? Of death. Because the folks who entered into that covenant on those terms did not have the ability to keep it. So because they didn't have the ability to keep it, hallelujah, and the consequence of not keeping it is what? Is death. They died when they broke it. Praise God. So redemption had to provide a way out of this covenant. Because this was not the covenant God made with Abraham. All right? In scriptures, he actually even says that I never entered this covenant with Abraham. I entered this covenant with you in the day. Glory to God. When I brought you out of what? Look at Hebrews 8. We'll come back. Guys, are you following? Are you following? Hebrews 8 verse 8. Hebrews 8, verse 8. Praise God. Hebrews 8 and verse 8. Look at what it says. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, said the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of what? Notice, he's not saying with Abraham. He said with the house of Israel. And with the house of what? Of Judah. Verse 9 now says, not according to the covenant that I made where? With their fathers. In the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they continued not well. So that means they did not continue in the Abrahamic covenant. That was a covenant based on faith. Alright. He gave them another one based on law. So it was another covenant. Is this clear? But in this old covenant, Moses brought the blood. God didn't bring his own blood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Moses brought the blood. God, and according to covenant amongst men, what I bring, you will bring. For us to ratify it. Are you following? So God was using, you know, all right, what men do. Used it 
to pass across his redemptive plan. So when did God bring his blood? Matthew 26. And verse 26. I'm trying to move as fast as possible. Look how it says. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take it. This is my what? Body. Look at verse 27. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye what? All of it. 28. Everybody read one to go. For this is my blood of what? The new covenant. Which is what? Shed for many for the mission of sins. So, glory to God. The blood of the old covenant was the blood of bulls and goats. It was provided by Israel. Hallelujah. All right. God did not provide his own blood. Because God had to, it was, you know, in the covenant, both parties had to provide their blood. Hallelujah. God permitted Israel to provide the blood of bulls and goats. They sacrificed that. But God, where is your own blood? It was only possible when God became what? Flesh. So when Jesus says, this is my blood of the new covenant, he is saying, listen to me, all right, I am now fulfilling my own part of what? The agreement. My part of the agreement is, all right, I am going to bring my own life to show, hallelujah, that what I promised Abraham, I'm going to stand by it. Hallelujah. So, the shedding of the blood of Jesus, glory to God, hallelujah, fulfilled the covenant. Fulfilled the requirements of the covenant. Because by shedding his blood, Jesus is saying, right, praise God, every single thing we agreed is active. So, in Hebrews, he says, all right, a will, all right, is not in force. Until afterwards, the testator is what? Is dead. So the man who wills it, the man who enters into the berries, the man who enters into the covenant, until there is a life, there is a bleeding, there is a shedding of blood for that covenant, that covenant is not yet active. So in the Old Testament, the covenant was a promise. Praise God. It was not yet done. It was not yet in full force. For it to be from full force, both parties had to draw blood. Amen. If this guy's blood is shed, this other guy's blood is shed. Now let me give you the gist. Remember, both parties were man and God. Praise the Lord. It meant that whatever this one went through, this one must go through. Because by the covenant, both of them have become one. Amen. One entity. Did Abraham die? Did Abraham die? Did Abraham partake of death? The death of Abraham, the friend of God, with whom God entered into a covenant, necessitated that God, who entered into a covenant with him, must partake of the death. Abraham, his covenant friend took of. Ah. Oh, let me explain this way. 
Abraham, mortal man, subject to death, spiritual death, entered into a covenant with life. That's God. God says, believe in me, I will give you what? Eternal life. Abraham, because if you go and look at Genesis 17, it tells you there that the token of the Abrahamic covenant was circumcision. Genesis 17, verse 1. Token of the Abrahamic covenant is circumcision. Now, what happens in circumcision? There is bleeding. Are you following? So that means in the dedication of the Abrahamic covenant, there was bleeding. Is that correct? Come on, is that correct? But God didn't provide us his own blood. Didn't provide us his own blood. So, remember when God tells Abraham, go and offer your son, thy only son Isaac, on Mount Moriah. Then they go to Mount Moriah. Then Isaac asks Abraham, Afana, where is the lamb? What did Abraham say? He said, God shall provide for himself. He what? A lamb. So basically he's saying, I have done my own part of the agreement. God will provide for himself a lamb, hallelujah, that will bring his own, God's own part of the agreement. Because Abraham desired to see the Messiah, he saw it and he was like, so Abraham was sitting in hope expecting the time when the Christ, the lamb of God, will be manifested in flesh and he will now fulfill his own part of the agreement between Abraham and God. Are you following so far? Are you following so far? Yes. So Abraham was connected to God. He had an agreement with God. And by that agreement, he was one with God. Abraham went into spiritual death, was in spiritual death. Abraham died physically. The death of Abraham meant, ah, God's covenant partner went into death. So God has to go after him. Hebrews 2. 13. If man, if man dies, the God who was covenanted with that man must die too. For if he is to get him out of death into the life he promised him, he has to first go into the region of death where the man presently is. For that man was covenanted to God. I don't know because... Is, did anyone understand how we got here? No, don't just say yes. Do you really understand how we got here? No. Did you really? Nee, do you understand how we got here? Joe, do you understand how we got here? You don't understand how we got here. You have a question, so you ask it later. All right, good. Now look at Hebrews 2.13. He says, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God had given me. Now read verse 14. Everybody wants to go. He says what? For as much then as, wait, listen, no, for as much as the children are what? Partakers of what? Flesh and blood. He also himself what? Likewise took part of the same. Why did he take part of the same? Because of the covenants. Likewise took part of the same that through what? Death. He might destroy him that had the power of death that is what? The devil. Glory to God. All right. Verse 15 now says what? And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to what? To bondage. So he had to die because his covenant man was in death. Hallelujah. 
So when Jesus comes and says, this is the blood of the New Testament, or this is the New Testament in my blood, the New Testament, the covenant agreement that I had with Abraham, this is my own contribution. This is the blood. This is my life. Hallelujah. So when he shed the blood, he fulfilled the requirements. So the moment he fulfilled the requirement, that covenant became what? Active. Which meant all who believe, like faithful Abraham, hallelujah, receive what? The life, the indwelling of the spirit that the covenant promised. But until that blood was shed, that covenant could not be activated. Praise the Lord. So the spirit within is proof that Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement of the old covenant. For the spirit would not have been given if Jesus had not fulfilled that covenant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I will show you where he talks about, it tasted, look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8 into 9. You know, I'm always very careful when we are having things like this one. So if you notice, I always make sure when we are doing Bible seminar, I just want workers and some, you know, folks in there. The reason is simple. Just a moment. So, Praise the Lord. Ha, ha, ha. Okay. All right, praise God. Now, so we know, all right, that Jesus came up as the blood of the new covenant. And as the blood of the new covenant, uh, of the new covenant he made active the covenant that was enacted between Abraham and God all right, which covered the Gentiles and the Jews, then it also fulfilled the requirements of the law. It was the old covenant that was entered between God and the nation of Israel. Notice, there are two things. There are two covenants. There's the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was between who? God and Abraham. Abraham being the representative of both the Jew and the what? 
the Gentile. So that means the Abrahamic covenant covered everybody. Praise the Lord. Then there was the old covenant that was between God and the nation of Israel. That covenant does not concern the Gentile. That covenant was between God and the nation. Praise God. Now, the redemption of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the blood of Jesus took care of the two. With the Abrahamic covenant, the blood, hallelujah, praise God, caused the promises made to Abraham to come alive. Because a covenant or a will is not enforced except there is the death of the word testator. What did God promise Abraham? The spirit. So the death of Jesus, the burial and resurrection of Jesus fulfilled that and made that promise active. Praise God. But with the law, the death of Jesus, what did he do? The death of Jesus, glory to God, paid the depth of the Jew to the law. Because the Jew said that they were able to keep the law and they, you know, dedicated the law with blood. Which meant that if they broke the law, what should happen to them? They would what? Die. But what they now did was, what now happened was, with the death of Jesus, Jesus redeemed them from the curse of the law. Hallelujah. What is the curse of the law? Death. All right? For it is written, curse is everyone that hangs on what? On a tree. So Jesus, by his death, glory to God, all right, all right, um, um, ratifies the Abrahamic covenant and causes the covenant made with Abraham to come alive and to be enforced, which is that the spirit is given. And with the old covenant, what does he do? He fulfills the righteous requirement of the law from the nation of Israel. What was the righteous requirement? That the nation of Israel were to keep all the 3,000 laws in the book. So Jesus tested death for all the Jews. Hallelujah. By dying for all of them. So by dying for all of them, he fulfills all the requirements of the law and retires the law. Because the law was not supposed to be there in the first place. The law was brought in as a what? Stop gap. So that when the Messiah comes and they see all that has been said about him in the law, the Jews will see him and what? Recognize him. So the Bible says the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto what? Unto Christ. So now that Christ has come, we are no longer under what? A schoolmaster. Praise God. So the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, took care of the Jew under the old covenant and the Gentile under the word Abrahamic covenant. How many of you understand that? Is this clear? Come on, is this clear? All right, let me take questions now. Put your hand up if you have a question. Just put your hand up. Let us see question. Okay, one. Ah, one. Okay, one, two, three. See, after we count this one, no. And courage questions, though. One, two, where, where's the other one? Okay, three, four, five, six. What is it, Dan, Mommy? But it's a... Eh, no problem now. 
So it's six questions that we have. Hallelujah. So number one. There's a question online. Where? On YouTube. Uh, okay, no problem. Let the person type the question. All right, now. Start. Okay. Um, so my question is, if we say that, the, you know, many times when we go out on evangelism, we say that, oh, because of the sin of Adam, all men sinned. The way the Bible says that, oh, all men sinned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm trying to get your question. I'm no, trying you, to... you know, when we go out on evangelism, we mm -hmm. say, oh, when you are preaching, the reason why a person needs to accept the sacrifice of Christ, especially mm -hmm. when you say that um, Jesus Christ paid for your sins. Mm -hmm. And then, but if we are now saying that, oh, the reason, because the payment for the sin or the sin that resulted in death was like a covenant between God and the children of Israel. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Okay. Maybe I'm not putting the question you are very not. well. Mm. The children of Israel were in darkness when God entered into a covenant with them. You understand? And the reason why he entered into a covenant with them was that they did not believe, all right, on the, the Abrahamic covenant. You understand? Now, the Abrahamic covenant itself gave righteousness by faith as a promise. Because the indwelling of the spirit, sin. yet the indwelling of the spirit was still a promise. All right. Now, what is sin? The sin is the rejection or the lack of acknowledgement of eternal life being only in who in Jesus Christ. That is trying to attain righteousness by our works or through any other means apart from faith in Christ. That is sin. That is the sin of Adam. Okay, and because he was the progenitor. He brought in what? Physical death. You understand? On everybody. Because, because he is the progenitor and he's the one through whom everybody is going to get a body. If physical death was operating in him, it will operate in everybody else. You understand? All right? It will operate in everybody else. Okay? Now, spiritual death means that the spirit of God is not living inside you. For the man who is spiritually alive to God is the one who is indwelt by the Spirit of God. So that means Adam also was not indwelt by God. So we can also say Adam was what? Spiritually dead in that God and him were not one. All right then. And everybody else too. But to Abraham, to Abel, to Enoch, to Noah, that union with God, which God communicates to Abraham as promised land, all right, was futuristic because it was dependent on the sacrifice of Jesus for it to become what? Active. The spirit could not be given until Jesus Christ was what? Glorified. John 7, 37 to 39. You understand? So without the glorification of Jesus, the promise to Abraham could not be fulfilled. Do you understand? So when you are going to preach the gospel to people, you are preaching to them that, listen, God wants to dwell in you. God wants to forgive your sin. You understand? And he has made provision for your forgiveness by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Okay? Receive Jesus today and all your sins will be forgiven and you will receive in your spirit the spirit of God. God will take up his home in you. That's the gospel. So it's just like a 
the perspective of not saying that oh because you know sometimes when you preach the gospel especially to people that are moralist and they're mm. like I did not do this. I didn't do this. Yeah, because most that. times they are used to people talking about sin from the perspective or perspective of actions, not from the perspective of unbelief. And sin in the presence of God it's is unbelief. unbelief. Praise God. Okay, I have two questions. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when. From um, Romans 8.10, mm. um, when we were referring to um, how they were talking about people that um, say they want to live Can I get a chair? so many years, being um, ageless and rest yeah, yeah, of that. Yeah. So my own question is, if we say, because from what I understood by that explanation, before now I used to think that, um, okay, the spirit gives the body life. Mm -hmm. Yes, so, but from the explanation you've given now, and I used to refer to that when I want to pray for like know, bodily strength. I know where you got it from, do we? Yes. I know <laughs> we, we, we are I know the person that taught it. But okay. it's, yeah, you know, they, so, they re-edited the Greek. Yeah. Mm. So where's the place for where's the where's the place of source of strength to the body? Oh no, it's it, the source of strength to the body is the spirit. You understand? But that source of strength to the body does not immortalize the spirit. So it doesn't immortalize the body. It gives strength and energy to the mortal body. Now, it is at the resurrection that that Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, will now give us a what? A new body. The Bible says, all right, that we shall be transformed. This mortality will be swallowed up with what? Immortality. Now, that operation of translation of mortality to immortality is also by what the spirit within us but the time for that transformation is not yet it's in the future the problem with this age lesson and this thing is that it's making what the scripture clearly states is future and making it a present time reality that's the problem you understand because if your body was immortal you will not grow or look older You'll be like God. You'll be like the angels. You will look exactly how you are now in 35 years because your body is operating out of the time realm. It is no longer subject to the sun and the moon. Is that what it is? No. That's where that scripture is wrong. Where that teaching is wrong. Because yes, there is immortality. The Bible says he has brought immortality to life through the gospel. Yes, that immortality as at now is resident in our spirits. It has not yet been permitted to enter and reign in our body because there is a time for it. Just like there was a time for Jesus to come and your faith confession could not bring it closer. Amen. It's the same thing, the resurrection of the body, there is a what? A time for it. Yes. Okay, thank you. Then the second question is from when we're reading Exodus 24, mm -hmm. um, when when you said um, God did not bring his God, where where is God's blood? God did not bring his blood, mm -hmm. but from the understanding of covenant, the two parties have to bring blood. Mm -hmm. So if God didn't bring his blood to that covenant, how possible was it to have been enacted at that time, such that they were already 
um, enforcing it and people could actually die for not obeying it if God did not bring uh, 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 his blood. Uh, 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 okay, I get what you're talking about. Okay, now, that's a very good question. The question is, if God was not, did not provide his blood, okay, why then is it that it was enforced without the blood being provided? Number one is that the people there with their own words that you read said, all that you tell us to do, we are able to do. That's number one. Number two, so with their own words, they put themselves under that book. No, that's number one. Number two, Moses put them under that book based on their, um, based on their word because the Bible says that in, in, in um, uh, what do you call it? In Hebrews 8, it says that not, um, every single thing in the, in the law wasn't dedicated without blood. All right, and that after he had read the words of the covenant to them, he sprinkled the blood on, on them and said, This is the word, the book of the covenant, which is enjoined to you. So that means it's connected to you. But the major reason why you find that the blood of God was not provided at the time was because the covenant was not an everlasting covenant. You understand? The one God we sign on is the one that will last what? Forever. This one is a temporal one, which actually just made it clear what obviously already was present, which was the wages of sin is what? Is death. So men were already dying before the law came. Praise God. What the law did was simple. To make men now by conscience know this is what sin is. 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 You understand? You get. So it was present. It was enacted. And you notice something about the law of Moses. The people that enforced it wasn't God per se. Who enforced it? It was men. No, we seen here. It was men that enforced it now. In that when people sinned, who killed the men? It was men. If you committed adultery and they caught you, who killed the who killed you? It was men that killed you now. So they were the ones who enforced enforced it. It was angels that arranged it. But men enforced it. I don't, do you understand? Yeah. You understand? So it's the men that we stoned to death. They say, ah, see what is in the law. He say, if you shall call death, oh yeah, we stoned the person to death. Now, the funny thing was that Moses was not the one that invented stoning to death. They were already stoning people to death before Moses came. In fact, one of the first people they wanted to stone to death was Moses. You remember that? When they say, give us water, they now brought this thing and they wanted to stone him. So which means that the laws of the old covenant was in accordance towards the wickedness in their hearts. Praise God. Say, if somebody sleeps with another man's wife, Stone him. Yes. Exactly. That's correct. <laughs> because if Moses said, forgive them. Huh? No, how, how can we forgive them? What, what are you talking about? This is your laws. I don't understand it. So Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, he said, Moses, because of the words, hardness. So that means the law of Moses was a reflection of who they were. 
not a reflection of who God was. Praise God. But what the Lord did was that instead of making it, you know, when you study the law properly, when you are making it hypocritical, all right, Jesus now comes and raises it up. Because they will say, if you commit adultery with somebody, stone the person. They will say, yes. They just say, eh, you can do that one. It's so good. Let me go. He said, let me say, adultery is not only when you sleep physically with the person. But if you sleep with the person in your heart, we should stone you too. Uh -uh. That's all of us now. Exactly. So the reason why the sick, because you see the blood is your signature on the contract. The reason why God didn't put his signature there is because that, the law, did not reveal his character and it was not everlasting. You understand? So when Jesus came and shed his blood, it was actually not to say the law was correct, but it was to fulfill all of the what? Penalties for breaking the law. That the Jews, so all the transgressions under the first covenant, the blood of Jesus was shed to what? To wipe it out. So that the Jew can come out of the sacrifice of Jesus, no longer a Jew. He can come out what? The same with the Gentile as a what? New creation. Not obliged to keep the law, praise God, but a beneficiary like the Gentile of the Abrahamic covenant. Praise the Lord. Number three. Who is number three? Praise God. Hallelujah. Um, Are we still live? I have two questions. Mm -hmm. The first one is that I, I, it's clarity. I didn't understand the, the um, covenant between, the place of Jesus in the covenant between God and the Israelites. And, and the Abraham. One, no, and Abraham. I understood that one. Mm -hmm. So you explained the Jews' version, how mm -hmm. Jesus also, um, Redeemed the Israelites from the Galatians 3.13. You know Christ did not redeem us, the Gentiles, from the cause of the law. You know that, right? Because we are not under any law. The people he redeemed from the cause of the law were the, in a nation of Israel. Look at. Christ has redeemed us from the cause of the law. Being made a cause for us, for it is written, Cause is everyone that angeth where? On a tree. Verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on what? The Gentiles to Jesus Christ, that we might receive. Notice that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles to Jesus Christ. Then he now says, That what? Who is the we? Who is the we? Is the we the Gentiles? No! The we is the Jew. Praise God. So the blessing of, of Abraham is the spirit. So you understand? But if you look at the corner, it says that we, so we that were under the curse of the law, for whom Jesus redeemed us by dying, we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. You understand? You understand what I'm talking about? So, um, the Gentiles were not under the curse of the law, though the Gentiles were what? In sin and death. Just like everybody was. You understand? But you see, the law was a different contract from the Abrahamic covenant. It was a covenant, a contract between God and the nation of Israel, and that contract was enacted because of their stubbornness. 
Praise God. Because they did not continue in the first one, God gave them another one. And the purpose of that other one was to multiply the consciousness of sin. Because that nation was an arrogant nation. And they were puffed up. So God said, the only way these ones will recognize the Messiah when he comes is if we get them to understand what sin is. So with everyone who died when they sinned, it became obvious what sin was. And it made them cry the more. For what? The Redeemer. Who was going to deliver them what? From sin. You understand? So the Gentile will do the same thing the Jew did and face no penalty. When the Jew did it, because do you know what David did? You know what that thing David did with Bathsheba? All the kings of the time did it. Nothing happened. But David did it because he was under the old covenant. There was a penalty for it. Praise God. So when you read the Psalms of David, it was, ha, ah, God, when are we going to be free from this thing God's sin? So he now says in Psalm 32, blessed that day whose iniquities are what? Are forgiven. Blessed to the, is the man to whom you will not what? He didn't say blessed is the man who will not commit to. No. He said that you will not that. <laughs> because he said, ah, because this thing is, ah, any small thing, you will just, you understand? So Jesus' death met the requirement. So the law put a burden on the Israelites because of their stubbornness that God knew they couldn't carry. But Jesus now came and by his death carried their burden of the children of Israel. Because legally they were contracted and legally they had to be redeemed out of the obligations of that contract. You understand? Okay, so still in line with this question, um, I wanted to ask that how is it that the covenant between Abraham and God and the covenant between God and the Israelites happened at two different times to two different people, but yet it was the same blood on God's part that had to that God applied for both covenants. Ah, it's God now. You can't satisfy. What I okay? It's God now. So the thing about it is, it's very simple. One walk settles everything. Just like one sacrifice is taking care of all your sins, past, present, and future. Why? Because the sacrifice of Jesus, though, all right, occurring in time, all right, was enough for all ages. So the sacrifice of Jesus, all right, is, I mean, he offered the sacrifice, but that sacrifice took care of those in the past, took care of those in the present, and took care of those in the future. So it took care of the sins of men individually, but he also took care of the sins of men as a nation. You understand? So the, the sins of the nation of Israel in breaking the law was sin. You understand? And the blood of Jesus was shed to remit sin of all men, including that shed under the law and the one shed without the law. So without the law, under the law, one sacrifice takes care of both. Thank you, sir. So my second question now is that from the definition of sin that we've seen, mm-hmm. Will it still be appropriate to say that all men are born sinners? Okay. You know, I like that question. It's a very good question. The correct answer is this. All men are not born sinners. Legally. If we are speaking on the legality, all men are born natural and innocent. Praise God. They become sinners 
when they make a decision as regards what? Christ Jesus. Yes, I know. Praise God. Because if all men are born automatically sinners without making a decision about the gospel, it would therefore mean that everybody is saved. I'm coming. <laughs> Glory to God. So when he says all have sinned, he is saying all of us rejected him. Praise God. All of us what? Rejected him. Now, if we say that everybody that is born into this world of sin is a sinner automatically, it will mean that since Jesus died and rose from the dead, all right, everybody is born again automatically without their choice. Are you following? Is that the case? No. See this example. Was Abel righteous? Talk to me. Was Abel righteous? Was Abel righteous? Was Abraham righteous? Was Noah righteous? Ah. Uh -huh. Was Lot righteous? No. No. Lot was called righteous. I'm talking of scripture. I'm not talking about your opinion. You think I asked about your opinion? No. Was Lot righteous? Right? Good. Now, was Adam born a sinner? Was Adam born a natural man? When did he become a sinner? When was Abel declared a righteous man? Was Abel called, was Abel born a righteous man? Was there a point in time he became a righteous man? Was Abraham born a righteous man? Was there a point he became a righteous man? So that means he was more, all men are born innocent until they make the decision. Now, and there's a age of accountability. Where, that's why Paul said, I was born um, um, without the law once. But when sin revived, I died. Are you following? It's like this. A baby is born into this world. He's born into this world of sin. All right? But that baby is innocent. Praise God. Now, notice who. There is a difference between when I'm saying, when we are saying sinner, legally speaking. You know, the, you know, there's legal righteousness. When we are talking of nature, that child, every child born into this world, is not born into the world with the nature of God, though. Is born natural. Hallelujah. All right. Is born what? Natural. And in nature, in his nature, is not born righteous. Are you following what I'm saying? He's not born what? Righteous. He's not born what? In his, nature, in his nature, he is not a son of God. Hallelujah. All right? But the child needs to make a decision. So because the answer to this question will link to the answer to what happens to babies aborted in the womb. Or the ones that die young, where do they go? If you say all men are born sinners, it means all those children are in hell. Ah? Are you following? But how do we have the answer to it? David gives us the answer. David, in talking about Bathsheba's baby, that baby, remember the baby? The baby that was conceived out of wedlock? After the baby dies, David said, 
They come, David begins to eat and, you know, and they come and meet him. David, how far now? What's going on? Why you were, the baby was sick and alive. You wanted to kill yourself. Now the baby has died. You are eating and he said, ah. he said, what can I do? The baby's already dead. He said, I know that I, I shall go to him. But he will not come to me. Which means David knew that the baby, hallelujah, had gone to where? Where righteous people go. Are you following? Are you following? All right. Why? Because you see, the baby, everyone born into this world is born with the opportunity to make a choice. Hallelujah. So when the Bible says all have sinned, he's saying all missed it like Adam missed it. Because you see, God is just. God will not be, because see, saying someone is a sinner is a legal statement. So you cannot be a sinner without action, without, you understand, all right, unbelief. Hallelujah. All right. Now, is everybody born with the nature of sin? Yes. Because everybody is born with that tendency. You understand? From who? From Adam. But is everybody born a legal sinner, declared a sinner legally by God? No. Because calling someone a sin is a legal statement. It is not an emotional statement. So that means when you say a man is a sinner, on what basis is he a sinner? Oh, he is a sinner because he has rejected God's plan. So he is an unbeliever. You won't see a baby and call the baby a what? An unbeliever. Because there is nothing you have given him to believe that he rejected. Are you following? Are you following? So you must separate the nature from legal standing. Hallelujah. So the man who is going to hell is going to hell because both by nature and by legal standing, he is what? He's a sinner. The man who is made born again, by nature... He is a sinner, but he identifies with what Jesus has done, so he is moved into the legal standing of what? Righteousness. Now, because he has moved into the legal standing of righteousness, God now sends the Holy Ghost as a what? A seal of this man's what? Moving to that place of righteousness, and boom, he becomes regenerated. So, he is no longer a sinner by nature. He is now what? A son. Are you following? Are you following? So we have, that's why what, with what we have done now, we've now answered where unborn babies go. We have now answered where infants and stillbed children, all those people go. There are a lot of women that are about their children. They, you know, if they are saved, they will see their children in heaven. And it will be a wonderful reunion. Praise the Lord. No, there will be no judgment at all. They will just get to know themselves better in heaven. Praise the Lord. I know there are some questions out of the questions. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. Ah, wait, we have to follow the... All right, just write your question now. Yeah, number four. Joe. Good afternoon, PF. Thank you for today's teaching, first of all. Um, so I have a couple of questions, and then really hope I don't get to take time. Okay. Um, my first question was going to be the question that Valerie asked, but then you provided an answer. Oh, no, Lester, I don't still understand it. I'll go and look it over again. No, no, no. What was the question, Valeria? I forgot. Um, Exodus 24. What was the question? Why God did not provide blood. For and the because name? now he was not incarnate. 
You understand? So you have to provide the blood. No, you provided an answer. Okay. I'll go and look over it okay, okay, again. Okay, okay. Then I would ask again. Mm. If I don't understand. That's fine. It. Yeah, that's good. But my second question now comes from this. So I remember um, in Lucky Church, mm. um, during the Ablaze series, you mentioned something. You were quoting from Hebrews 13, where um, the author of Hebrews said that Abraham counted or considered Isaac as unto being dead. Yes. And then you made a statement that day. You referenced the fact that it was at that point that Abraham provided his own part of the covenant. Now, I bring that up again today because prior to then, I still used to... Okay, let's see Genesis 14. Sorry, Genesis 15. So, prior to then, this was my perspective of what Abraham offered in belief for the covenant. This was where Abraham was asking God, how shall he know? How would he be certain if he would inherit mm -hmm. the covenant? And then God asked him, bring me a three-year-old heifer mm -hmm. and all of that and all of that, three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, turtle dove, and a pigeon. Now, prior to that, my entire belief was, um, okay, this was what Abraham offered mm -hmm. as his part in the covenant. Mm -hmm. But then you mentioned that Isaac died even though he did not die. And you said that that was what he... No, offered. hold on. You are mixing... I get what you are saying, but you are mixing stuff up. First, okay. Abraham offered the animals. Okay. As a typology, did the animals die? Yes. Actually, die. Yes. Right? They died, right? Yes. Now, Isaac was requested by God as a typology. Okay. Abraham offered him on the altar. Did Isaac die in actual reality? Did, no. did he like die? No, he did not. All right. But did he die as a figure, as a typology? Yes, he did. All right. Now, did Abraham know that Isaac will not die? No, because the Bible says he considered that he will be given back to him. No, yes, but did Abraham know? From what you just said, you are saying that Abraham believed that if he will get, he's walking away with Isaac, correct? Yes. Uh huh. So he received Isaac back in a figure. In a figure, in a typology, right? Okay. So he, he gave Isaac to death in a typology. Okay. And he received Isaac in a what? In a typology. So what I said in that teaching you are referring to, all right, was that by that action, Abraham believed in the death of the Abrahamic seed and in the resurrection of the Abrahamic seed. That means he believed in the promised Messiah, all right, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's why... On the road there, he said to um, Isaac, the Lord himself will provide himself a what? A lamb. You understand? Now, in that action, all right, of what? Of Abraham expressing the faith he already had. Because it was not at that point of the offering of Isaac that Abraham had faith. Because I remember saying that when the Bible says, and the Lord God tested Abraham. I showed you what that test was. I used an example of the test for starch. Remember that? Yes. Where you take starch and you do iodine. Okay? Now, when you are doing that, what you are doing with that test for starch with iodine is to prove that there is starch in that food. You understand? Yes. So, when you put that, uh, this and it turns blue black, the thing changing blue black is to prove that starch is here. 
So when God said, and the Lord tested, wanted, uh, tested Abraham and said he should take his this in this thing, what the scripture is trying to show us is that Abraham had what? Faith. And this was the test to show he had faith. What faith did he have? He had faith in the giving of the seed to die and that he will rise again. Which Hebrews now tells us that all those things was a what? A figure of speech. So after that happened, you now find that God now says, and the covenant was established. So what you're seeing, all right, is that at Genesis 14, that's when the covenant was what? Entered into Genesis, where is this what? Genesis what? No, 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 this one where 22, all right, this is now like a, um, a re affirming of the terms of Genesis 14. Because nothing new was happening in the offering of Isaac. A covenant had already been entered. But what was happening here was the scripture showing us that Abraham actually had faith in the promised seed. I've not asked my question. Ah. So, so what, I was laying the foundation. I'm okay, so what's question. the question? So in today's teaching, you referenced um, Genesis 17 where you said that the circumcision was the offering of blood. On But then if, my question now is now between Genesis 14, when Genesis 15 rather, when Abraham offered the animals and Genesis 17, where did Abraham actually play his part? In the covenant, taking note of the fact that Abraham wasn't circumcised by the terms of that covenant. Mm -mm. No, the covenant was that you would, because if circumcision was the fulfillment of Abraham's part of the covenant, the covenant, the requirement for circumcision was eight days. Abraham was not circumcised as an eight day old. So if circumcision was. Eight day circumcision was under the law. And circumcision is a figure of speech to talk about the new birth. So, Genesis, 6, Genesis 17 that you said mm. was Abraham's part of the law. It states, it's really verse 12. He who is eight days old amongst you shall be circumcised. Okay. Mm -hmm. Verse 9. And for you shall keep my covenant, and your descendants enter throughout their generations. This is my covenant which shall keep between me and your descendants after you. Every male. Among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, mm -hmm. and shall be sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation, he who is born in your house or born with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. Mm -hmm. So I'm just asking, where did Abraham play his part in the covenant? Verse chapter 15, when he offered up the animals, or is it via the circumcision? That's my question. Okay, I, I think this is a very good question. Okay. All right. Now, the answer is that all through Genesis, you have that the covenant between God and Abraham was entered into, then was reaffirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed again. So you find there was a reaffirming. The beginning of it was the offering of the animals. You understand? That's one. The second is the token of the circumcision. That's two. And you find that these two things actually are carried on in the New Testament. What did the offering of the bulls and goats signify? What was it replaced with in the New Testament? The sacrifice of the blood of Jesus. Is that correct? Good. Now, what was circumcision replaced with in the New Testament? 
the what? The what? The new birth. Hallelujah. The giving of the spirit. So you see those things are also represented in, all right? So what we see in the repetition, all right, is that, all right, the covenant is fulfilled in this. It is also in this. It is also in this. So all those different things that it is in the Old Testament are typologies, which have to be explained in the light of redemption. So without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Remission of sin. That is one. That's what the blues and bloods, all right, signifies. Then with this cutting off of the foreskin, he's saying in this redemption, the old man is what? Cut away and a new man is what? Coming to replace, all right, this old man that is what? Cut away. So you have both, but they are the same covenant. All right? But it is reaffirmed in different ways. But in those two places, we find Abraham provided the blood of bulls and goats. Second place, Abraham's, um, 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 him and his descendants bleed and are circumcised. But the blood of God, God's side of the covenant, is not on the scene until Jesus Christ comes. Because until God became flesh, it was not possible for God to provide his own blood. Is this Joel? To an extent, you. Okay. No, it's fine. Questions are very good. I like questions. And the reason why I like questions is because questions give them opportunity for you to also clarify stuff. All right, number five. All right, thank you, Prayer Teaching. Uh, my question is back to our series on Indians. <laughs> I've always wanted to ask this question, but I know I was going to get my opportunity. All right, uh, in, we saw in Hebrews 1, 13 and 14, where uh, Indians are public functionaries of God, that is, extension of kingdom of God on earth. And uh, we saw that angels also have the ability to kill. I mean, I'm going back to this example in the Old Testament where you mentioned uh, Elijah when he called on, okay, when he was responding to Ahab inquiring of uh, your, uh, divinity and all that, mm -hmm. uh, I quite understand because I went back to listening and study. You saw that it's spiritual warfare. You understand altars and everything. Now, and if you look at Jesus' Jesus's response to the act of Elijah, it didn't seem to portray no, that... I know where you are talking about. I know. Yes, yeah, so... Um, I think a Bedamina brought that one, he called it a Muto Skinicon, something. Yeah. Oh, he continued. So he All right. Yeah. So Jesus' response didn't seem to. I'm not saying what Elijah, because I understood Elijah's. No, we noticed Jesus response. did not say what it, Elijah did was wrong. Yeah. But his response did not seem mm -hmm. to. No. Go and read it well. Go, Luke 9, 45. Go and check. Let's check it. You know this position, I've said it before now. And I've taught it before, years ago. It's just one part of my question, and, sir, but and, and, and I don't want to clarify it. Let's answer it first. Oh, yeah, look nine. Um, let's look for where he was talking about um, let's call down fire from heaven. Huh? What did he say? 54. Oh, yeah, go there. Okay, Luke 9, 54. Oh, yeah. I went his disciples, James and John. No, so Go up a bit. Let's see the context. So, like, 52. 
Okay. Yeah, and sent messages before his face, and they went and entered to the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. Uh -huh. For him, and he did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. So that means they sent um, messengers to Samaritans, right? They sent messengers to Samaritans. Jesus wants to come in here, all right? But they did not want to receive him, correct? Correct. Yes. Hmm. He now says. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, without that, we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as what? Elias did. All right? Now, hold on. Why did Elias call fire from heaven? Yes, but what exactly did those soldiers come to do? They came to kill him now. You get? They came to kill him. So, him calling down fire from heaven was what? To save his life. Correct? Is that not, you understand? It was defensive to save his life. Was there anything like that here? No. It was, we want to preach somewhere. No, we are not going to let you preach. Eh? You don't want us to preach here? Lord, let's, you understand? So, what they wanted to do was revenge. That is, was what? Was what? Revenge. So, it was vengeance. Now, look at now what Jesus says. But he turned and rebuked them and said, Do you know not what manner of spirit ye are of? Did he say Elijah? No, ye. Next verse, 56. For the Son of Man is not come to what? Destroy men's life, but to save, what? To save them. And they went to what? That would accept his message. The spirit here of is referring to, he's not talking about the spirit behind the fire. It's the spirit behind the desire to call it down, which was what? Vengeance. You see, I listened, to, I don't like your opinions, but I respect Ebed Amina a lot. And I knew where, you know, look, believe me, having been around for a little while, I know where all those teachings come from. And many of us, you know, most of us, we have to edit some of those things. We said, because there are implications to what Ebed Amina was teaching. Serious implications to what he was teaching. You see, because... To imply, because what Ibn was implying, was that it was Elijah yielding to evil spirits that caused the fire to come. That's what he was implying. That when Elijah called down fire from heaven, when they came to kill him, it was the, the devil that sent the fire down. That's what he was implying. Because angels cannot release the fire. Are you following? Which would mean that at that moment in time, the devil was working with, with Elijah to protect Elijah from some... Are you following what we are saying? Are you following what I'm talking about? Who sent the men, who influenced the king to send the men to kill Elijah? Was it not the devil? They are not saying the devil is the one that... Then 
the angel that was talking to Elijah that did not tell him not to call fire the first time. That did not call him not to call fire the second time. But told him only the third time. When a man came there that he knew would not kill Elijah, said, don't call fire. Go with him. Are you following? You must be careful. Because in theology, eh, if, it's just sad. Because there are certain statements that once you make them, they have theological implications. Because that pit don't enter it. Because where it is heading to is that people will now begin to correct the apostles. You now hear people saying that the apostles did not have the requisite lights. I saw, for example, you know when Peter, Peter, no, Paul and uh, no, it was Paul and Barnabas when they healed the man at Lystra. You know when they hit the man of Israel? And the high priest went to bring sacrifice, to offer the sacrifice and all. And they ran among the people and said, no, we are men like you. Don't offer sacrifice. Don't worship us. The man of God has come and edited it, that the apostles were wrong. Another one came. Remember when what is the name of this guy? Is it uh, Elima? The sorcerer? That, that Simon the sorcerer that got saved. The one that offered money to Peter and said, give me this power. Another man came and said, no. That a, a Peter was wrong. That the guy was honoring him. That he should have, that it was wrong of Peter not to have collected the money. Are you following? Because, you see, when you go down that road, you will find out that instead of explaining scriptures with scriptures, you will enter that pit of trying to edit it. And that is that theological pit people are entering inside. That is very dangerous. Because as you are doing it for one, you will do it everywhere else. Praise God. You will do it everywhere else. You understand? Hallelujah. Jesus did not rebuke Elijah there. He rebuked his disciples. Let's not twist things. Because they wanted to call fire down. Why? Because they went to preach somewhere and the people didn't want to listen. Was that what Elijah did? No. Elijah did not do that. Elijah did not even call down fire on uh, Jezebel. He did not even call down fire on the prophet of Baal. Not that. The only time he called down fire to kill men was when they wanted to kill him. The guy went to, do you think he was on the mountain for leisure? No, he was hiding. He was hiding because the soldiers did not want to climb up the mountain. They said, man of God, come down. He said, if I be a man of God, let fire come. It was to defend him. Because there was a warfare going on, and these guys were the guys in the physical. He didn't have anybody to protect him. So we have to be very careful. Very careful of those things. 
Because they have implication. Because we will now begin to say that angels in scripture that the prophet did not see well because of the limitation of their understanding. It, you understand? It was not an angel. It was a demon. You, are you following what I'm saying? You, you understand? You have to be careful. Very careful. Because when you go down that route, everything goes to sleep. Because you are going to be attacking the integrity of the written word. And once we cannot trust what is written, where is faith? Well, that was just an example. My <laughs> but, but, but the question, question really is that what is the role or the place of angels, especially in the Old Testament, acting on the instructions of the prophets uh, as regards preservation? Because, I, I, of course, I know you said that angels can kill. That's a fact. I mean, that's a stated fact in the scripture. But in what, um, when do they get to exercise? Because you also mentioned that they have a will. I mean, case in point is that of, uh, uh, who was this guy, uh, prophet uh, in the New Testament, that he, uh, the angel told him that you shall not speak. Uh, yeah, Zachariah, yeah, yes, yeah. Zachariah. So you also mentioned that they also have a will. So the question is that where does that will, what, what is the boundary of that will? Because if we say they can kill, they have will. It means that probably maybe in relation to what is happening, they can choose to exercise that will to either preserve someone. Yeah, but you know, the thing about it is that angels are bound by the authorization that they have. Which men get when they approach God in prayer. Okay, so how do we now explain that with Elijah? Of course, when Elijah is preserving himself. Yeah, so because Elijah had spent some time praying. What was he praying about? He was praying about the idolatry in Israel. Alright? Now, he wanted to bring about a revival. So he prayed that there will be famine. That's, we are starting First Kings 17. Yes. So he prayed that there will be famine. There was famine. He got the attention of the nation of Israel and its king. Then after three and a half years, okay, he shows up and meets the king and says, there will be rain, but you need to gather the prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth together. He wanted to do that to the end that the people of Israel would see that there was only one true God. He says, the God that answers by fire, let him be what? God. And I've to I told you, what you saw there was a lot of spiritual warfare because the prophet of Baal could actually have called fire down from heaven. We know this because when we look at the plagues in Egypt, we find out that the first two or three plagues, the magicians were able to replicate the same results. But in that the prophets of Baal were not able to do so, Elijah had done his job in what? In prayer. The goal of the um, supplication and intercession of Elijah was to bring Israel what? back towards the worship of God in accordance to the law of Moses. Now, after he did that, the prophets were killed in accordance to the law of Moses because according to the law of Moses, all right, anybody... 
all right, that worshipped or raised, uh, if, you know, uh, you know, we read many of the, the, those scriptures today, mm. who had an idol or anything like that, who was a prophet to that idol, was supposed to be what? To be killed. So the killing of the prophet of Baal was in accordance with the law of Moses. So uh, what is his name now? Uh, Elijah was following the law of Moses in the killing of those prophets. After I killed the prophet, Jezebel says, all right, so be to me and more also if your life is not like any one of those prophets. So that means Jezebel wanted Elijah killed. Okay? So Elijah was running from place to place. In fact, he was saying he wanted to die and things like that. Ahab dies. Then his son, Ahaz, becomes king in his tent. But Jezebel was still alive. You understand? Ahaz fell ill. Right? Thanks help. That go and find out from God of Akron if I'm going to live and survive this illness. Okay? Elijah hears of it and says, What kind of insult is this? Despite what is going on, your father died because of his disobedience. Now you are doing the same thing too that the law of Moses forbids us from doing, from soliciting help from familiar spirits and from demonic spirits when the God of Israel is available to you, you who is made king under. The mosaic law and there are penalties for what you are doing because of what you have done you will not come down from that as a prophet he was the one was to who was to defend the law of moses and ensure that that nation followed it all right there were three people that were tasked with that the king the prophet and the priest whenever the king failed in his responsibility the prophet led it if the king and the uh, prophet failed in that responsibility. The priest led it. Remember, Ezra was a priest. He was not a prophet. Because there was no king in Israel and there was no prophet around at that time. Ezra was now the foremost listed. So either the priest, the king, or the prophet were the protectors of the old covenant to ensure that Israel abide by that covenant that was given to them. That was what Elijah was doing. Ea sent soldiers to get him and kill him because what he said in that the king would die was seen as a treasonous statement. So he was to be killed. Elijah in defense to protect what he wanted to happen, which was in alignment with the laws of Moses, spoke in his office as a prophet. He said, notice what he said. He said, heaven, if I be a man of God. So it was, if I'm a man, it's except I'm not a man of God. But if I am one, then this should happen. God will back his man. Because the man was on a mission. What was that mission? It was a mission clearly stated in the law of Moses. If they killed him, he would not have been able to what? Fulfill his mission. And remember, he was to anoint who? After him, Elisha. Who was to continue it? And was to anoint who? Jehu. Who was to continue it? And he was to anoint what? Azael. Yeah. Who? So he had not yet fulfilled the reason. If they had succeeded in killing him, the plan of God would have been truncated. All right. Sorry, you. <laughs> Still does an overflow of my question. I mean, uh, bringing it contemporarily, because I know it's not clearly stated in the scripture, we have examples, I mean, contemporary examples of Christians praying that, ah, let me from my mother's house, die. 
<laughs> you know those kind of prayers. I'm sure we know uh, those kind of prayers. So, um, as Christians, as believers, where does God stop? So, wait, first, notice with Elijah, there was only one of him. Yes. Who had that rule? So, there was a limitation under that covenant in that there was only one of Samuel, there was only one of David, and there was only one of Elijah. In the New Testament, there's not just one of us. So now, in the New Testament, we don't see angels killing people, all right, in response to men, because in the New Testament, the man has changed. You understand? Yes. The man has changed in such that the man, all right, would rather take on death than cause or pray for the death of others. You understand? However, God, in his almightiness and his sovereignty, if a man is not done with his assignment on the earth, God will protect him. He will protect him. For example, Herod came against the apostles. God protected. James died, right? Yes. But the church responded and prayed for Peter. You understand? Then later we see that Herod leaves the scene. You understand? Yes. All right? Herod leaves the scene. According to the scripture, the Bible says an angel of the Lord struck him. All right? Though, all right, the explanation of that is because I checked and studied the history. I found out that Herod and all of his brothers and his fathers actually had, they had this condition. Tangerine. Yeah, what? Is it tangerine or what do you No, no, no. Tangerine is a symptom. Okay. All right. They had something called CKD, chronic kidney disease, that had manifestation of um, diabetes mellitus and stuff. So gangrene, all right, is actually as a result of one of those. Yeah. All right. So when he talks about the worms and stuff, and all, according to Josephus, Josephus Antiochus, who was an historian, all right, uh, what is his name now? Herod, this guy, Herod that was mentioned, all right, actually died over a period of time. You understand? All right, he died um, after a period of time. He, after hosting those guys that came and said, this is the voice of man. If he took heal and was not seen outside for many days and died over an extended period of time. You know that expression, Acts of Apostles is historical. Yes. So you can check from other non-biblical but historical sources about, because it's historical, you understand? It's fact. It's not revelation. You understand? It's not revelation. It's fact. When, uh, what is his name? Uh, what's his name now? Um, Dr. Luke wrote this. You know, Dr. Luke was not there yes. when um, Herod took ill. He was not in the judgment hall. So he didn't see the angel strike him. You understand? Luke was not writing that because the book of Luke, uh, Act of Apostles, was narration. You understand? So he was saying, the Lord, an angel of the Lord struck him. And he died of worms and stuff like that. So when we check with that, that guy actually, there was an illness in his body. And this is what happened. He didn't die immediately on the spot. It took a period of time for him to actually die. But he actually died following the visit of those guys from Sidon. You understand? So that's where you look at narration and all. Narration is not revelation. You understand? That's why revelation is in the epistles. Okay? Eyewitness accounts is in Acts of Apostles. You understand? All right, good. So, 
when you are now asking, where is the boundary yes. of where, which one is this and which one is that? Well, from scriptures, we know that the believer is not supposed to be praying for the death of his enemies. So praying for the death of your enemies is not in the spirit. Right? That's number one. Number two, however, the believer is supposed to exercise his authority over demonic spirits. All right? Over wicked spirits. Because we know that whatsoever a physical human being is doing, he's not doing it of his own volition. There is a spirit behind it. So we are supposed to contend and take care of that spirit because we have authority over that spirit. So that is where you you wage warfare from. In the taking care of the spirit personalities and not the individual personalities. You understand? Yes, now, when I take authority over that, whatever I see, if I cast out devils and something happens, my person dies, I didn't kill him. I only took care of the spirit. The other thing that happened that resulted in the person, we understand where we get to heaven. Maybe there is a connection that there's a, these people have agreed that if indeed my, this spirit leaves this one, this, the body will die. I don't know all those things. You know, the kingdom, I'm, not a, I'm not a lawyer in the kingdom of darkness. They may have their laws and stuff like that. All right, but all I know is I'm going to cast out devils. You understand, you understand what I'm talking about? Yes, so sir. there are certain details, but I know what the scripture says, and I'm going to stick with it. I deal with the demonic spirit. Cast the demonic spirit out. Nullify the demonic spirit. All right. But pray for the salvation of the person. So, yeah. Because the Son of Man is not come to destroy lives. All right. But to save life. So we as all right, believers cannot be praying for a person to die. We can't. But we can be dealing with the spirit behind them. Praise God. That's not to say that in angelic protection and defense, wicked people, if they come against us, you understand? I'm not in charge of what the angels do or don't do. But I know that they protect me and they will protect you to ensure that we fulfill our plans and purposes. Are you following what I'm saying? Yes, sir. All right. Because I, I think that one of the mistakes we can make, all right, right now in this, our Aitsuno generation, is that we sometimes go as far as begin to say things we do not have scriptural authority to say. Praise the Lord. I said, praise God. Yes. Cannot, you know, don't have authority to say. All right, but we can see from scripture clearly that even when we see death, all right, in protection of God's beloved, it's usually the last. You understand? It's usually look at Pharaoh now. He was the last, the guy was not the um, the Egyptian, it was the last way. Oh, can we now say it was the angel, it was a demonic spirit that caused the Red Sea to drown the army of the Egyptians? Was it an evil spirit? Because they were inside now, and the water could last on them. Was it an evil spirit? No, now. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, we can't, you understand? Because that would mean that the devil was involved in the redemption and the escape. Typology, to down. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So we have to be very, very careful of such things. All right? Don't forget... That in the last days, those who are unbelievers are going to perish in fire. In the lake of fire. Praise God. They went there themselves. All right. But the thing is that in the plan of God, anyone that is not in Christ is gone. Praise God. So it means that, all right, there is a place for those who reject God's plan. Because if we are not telling people that, 
it will mean that we are saying that, oh, no, there are no consequences for rejecting God. God is all love and honey bunny and it's just cool as sugar cane. So even if you're a rebel, don't worry. And you don't have to accept Jesus, you are saved. No, that's not what this Bible teaches. It's not true. Praise God. All right. Who else? Ah, Esther. Amala is coming, I promise. Don't worry. Eh? Ah, where are the other question people now? Oh, no. I want to finish. Have you asked your question? Follow up. What's You have a question? All right. Let's take follow up. Eh? Oh, yeah, quickly. Quickly, because of time. Ah, it's already 2 o'clock. I want else to be done by 1. Oh, yeah, quickly, quickly, follow up. 1, all right, number 2, and number 3. Ah, GD, 4. Okay, sir, so um, I just wanted to ask that when exactly is the age of accountability? The age so we we'll know who when... to preach to when we go no, to... No, 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 no. The age of accountability has to do with when you can make a decision. Is that 18? No. <laughs> no, not 18. When you can make a decision. When, for example, when a child can understand and make a decision, that is the age where you can accept or reject. So, example, a baby can bite his mother's breast. Doesn't say anything wrong with it. But, you know, when you get to that age of accountability where you can accept and reject, you understand? That's it. Next question. But you know that... That could also explain that time between Adam's creation and when Adam made the decision. You know, there was a period. Touch now. There was a period between when Adam was created and when he made the decision. It's the same thing for everybody. There's that period where you will make that decision. You reach the age of accountability where you can decide. No, it's not. It's not the same for everybody. No, it's not. It's not the same for everybody. That's up to God. Now, my God. Uh, thank you so much, Pierre, for today's teaching. I just have um, this follow-up question. If we see that um, when people reject the gospel, they are, they, are in, they are sinners because they've rejected the gospel. Now, so why do we take the gospel to them? Because when we take the gospel, it's a 50-50. They may either reject it or accept it. So now we have made them sinners because they have rejected the gospel. Yes, but we are talking about legal. You know, wait, listen, guys. Praise God. You know, I was explaining being a sinner in two ways. One, legal and by nature. Everyone is born into this world by nature, a sinner. But everybody is not born a sinner legally, a sinner. In, you understand? Because you are righteous. By faith in Christ. It's a legal thing. Alright? Then you are now made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's a nature thing. Do you understand? So, because of your believing in Jesus, legally speaking, you are saved. So, you are going to heaven based on your legality. So, that means, God, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. It's a legal position. You understand? So, it is based on legality. By the legal act of God, this person who believes in Jesus is saved. All right. Now, for you to now produce fruit of righteousness, the Spirit of God now has to what? Live in you. Change your nature. That is now a nature thing. So right now, as you're standing here, you are righteous by nature, and you are righteous by what? Legality. Do you understand? Now, the man who has not heard the gospel before, okay, he is, all right, an unbeliever. Sorry, he is a sinner by nature. All right? 
But he's not yet an unbeliever because he has not heard the gospel. You understand? Now, when who determines where heard? Because, for example, I've heard people who no missionary has gone to them. But by some way, they've heard about Jesus. They will say they had a vision. They had a dream. Somebody appeared there. They have all of that. You understand? I am I'm a man. I don't have control over all of that. You understand? All right? But what the scripture lets us know is that all are born sinners by nature. Because we got that nature from who? Adam. But legality. You have to hear the gospel and have that opportunity to reject it to be called an what? Unbeliever. Because it will be wrong and unjust for God to declare a man who has never heard an unbeliever. So God will ensure either by vision, like with Cornelius. Remember Cornelius? All right. How did Cornelius get to know to call for Peter? There was a vision. Call to Peter. So the Cornelius example in scripture shows us that there are several times where a preacher has not gotten into a home, but God has gone ahead. Are you following? And as you know, they've heard, ah, there's this, there's this. And there are several stories like that. You understand? Apostle, uh, what's his name? Theophilus Dandimus gave an example too that while he was a Muslim, Jesus appeared to him and told him to go into a church. All right? And what they tell him to do in the church or he should do. So you have things like that. You get? Because God is the judge. He has to be fair. Are you following? To the people, he's what? He's judging. Because on his last act, can he say, you rejected my son? And I never heard about your son. You understand? All right. So that's it. So the, the, those questions, all right, as to this, I don't have answers to um, what is in the purview of God. All right. But every man is not called an unbeliever until he has an opportunity to accept or reject Jesus. Now, that, you know, it could be true, I preach the gospel to you, accept or reject, or it could be that the Lord we appear to the person and the person will say, no, I don't want. Like Apostle Theophilus said, he said his own brother has had visions of Jesus several times, but he's still a Muslim. Which means the same thing that happened to one happened to the other. One accepted, and one what? I'm not doing. So when that man stands before God, he cannot in conscience say, I never heard Jesus. No. You can't say it. One thing about God is this. When you stand before him, he will be without excuse. God, he will be without excuse because he's just. He will be without what? Excuse. Our own is, let's take the message, all right, to everybody. Because that is the instruction that was given to us. To us. Just carry it out. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. All right, just go carry it out. Let them know. This is what Jesus did. Accept. All right? Let them know. Yeah. Thank you for the um, Bible study. Yeah. So um, just following through from what you've um, just said, Adam was, um, who say he was created a natural man. Yeah. So, but in Genesis 1 27, God created him in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Um, when we are talking about the image of um, the image of God being Christ and the image of the Son being the Spirit, can, is, is this not like a type and shadow of the image thing being down now? And I just want to clarify that this. I've not first. been following 
and you have not been listening to the messages on Telegram for you to ask this question. Because I think we've explained this severally for the past two months. No. The wait. Okay. Genesis 2 7. When the Bible talks about the natural man in 1 Corinthians 15, where does it quote from? Does it quote from Genesis 1.26 or Genesis 2.7? Genesis. Let's check. 1 Corinthians 15. That's the last question, Abi. Are we still online? Somebody from how many of you know that we are answering questions many people don't want to go to? Now, how many of you know that? These are the difficult questions that people say, look, that doesn't matter. Let us just get our miracle and go away. God is <laughs> First Corinthians 15. Yeah. Praise God. All right. 45. Can we read? Let's have a 44. He says, we've already this in some people have even left. Eh? It is sown a natural body. It is raised a what? Spiritual body. There is a what? Natural body. And there is a what? Spiritual body. 45. And so it is written. The first man what? Adam was made a what? Was made a what? Was made a living soul. The last Adam was what? Made a what? Quickening spirit. Now, go to Genesis 2 and verse 7. First Adam was made a what? Living soul. Genesis 2 and 7. And the Lord God formed man of the what? Dust of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the what? The bread of life. And man became a what? So, what was Adam? He was a living soul. And when we are talking about Adam, Paul quotes Genesis 2, 7. Not Genesis 1.26. Because Genesis 1.26 was prophetic and he was talking about the new creation. When he talks about Genesis 1.26 and he's talking about the dominion, all right, authority over principalities and powers, he talks about that in Christ. Let me show you. Hebrews 2. Because Genesis 1.26, if Genesis 1.26 was Adam, it would mean that dominion was given to Adam, Abby. Right? It means dominion. Okay, that would not mean, right? Right? Okay, good. Look at Hebrews 2. And verse 5. Guys, go and listen to the message again. And when you have questions, just chat me up. Praise God. Just chat me up. That's why I'm your pastor. Amen. And I didn't expect you to get this deluge of information at once and to sink. And uh -uh, how now? Praise God. When is not Amala with uh, Joseph? For unto the angels that it not that um, for unto the angels had he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. Verse six. Everybody with this says what? But one in a certain place testifies, saying, "What is man that thou art what mindful of him, or the son of man that thou art visited him?" Verse seven. Thou hast made him a little what? Uh -huh. Thou crownest him with glory and what honor, and this set him over the what? Works of thy hands. Eh, he's not sounding like Adam. He's not Adam. Eh? It's not like us, eh? He says, Thou measures him a little Lord. Uh -huh. Look at verse 8. It now says what? Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. 
For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now, we see not yet all things. So that means all things were not under who? Adam. Look at what now says. Next verse. But we see who? Uh-huh. Who was made a word? What is he saying? He's telling you that Genesis 1.26 is all right with reference to who? Jesus. So that means all who are created after the image of this Jesus have the dominion that Jesus has. Okay? All right. I think that's all. Oh, GD. And write it out now. All right, GD, your question. Yes. Um, so my question is, um, yes, we are not, you said we have, everybody has by default the nature of sin. Okay. But then again, we know that nobody is a sinner because of Adam. Directly, like intentionally. Nobody is made a sinner legally. Legally, okay. That's legally is the is the part I want you to clear for me. Okay. okay, so when you say nobody made a sinner legally because of Adam, that means we are saying by implication, by direct implication, that is not why a sinner is a sinner. The person has a choice. But that nature of sin that you are saying, is it just like the ability to sin? Or is something... Difference. Okay, let's, let's make it simple. Okay. What is sin? Sin is to um, come miss the mark. He miss the mark. Yes. Now, a man is a sinner because he does not have, all right, nature. When we're talking about the nature now. Yes. All right, he's a sinner because in his nature, he does not have the image of God. Is that correct? In his nature, he does not have the image of God. Yes. Yes. Right? Because yes. what is God's plan? Okay. What is the mark? To have the image of God. Yes. So if yes. he doesn't have the image of God, he has what? Missed the mark. He has missed the mark. And the reason why he missed the mark is because his progenitor, Adam, yeah. missed the mark and must produce a pattern of a pattern of men who do not have the image of God. So which means that in nature, sin is propagated okay. in nature. But when we are now talking about legal, because when you are talking about condemnation, it's a legal terminology. Katakrima in the Greek, it's legal. It is a statement from a judge to um, an accused. So when you say condemned or the word perish, you may. All of those things are terminology, legal terminologies. Like exagorazo, redemption, redeemed. They are legal terminologies. They are statements made by a court, a court system, a judicial system. Are you following? Yes. So when a man is said... To be condemned, it is a legal statement. So when a man is said to be a sinner, it is a legal statement based on certain, all right, legal terminology. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a legal statement. It's a law. Are you following? Yes. It's a law. So if a man accepts Jesus, legally is declared what? righteous, and has eternal life. It's a law. If he doesn't, he is what? Unrighteous and has eternal damnation. Do you understand? Yes, sir. So that's it. So, a man born into this world, legally is born innocent. But by nature, he is a sinner. Why is he a sinner by nature? Because he does not have the image of God in him. 
So he was born, and the purpose of his birth is so that he can what? He can what? Be conformed to the image of, of Christ. Christ. So the purpose of every man being born into this world is to be what? Born again. again. So his life, from his time he's born to the time he sleeps, is an opportunity for him to make the decision. Are you following what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is, God is not unrighteous for that man not to have the opportunity. Because what, on what basis is he going to judge him for? Are you following? Even in the Muslim Quran, do you know that God put a witness of Christ inside it? Do you know? Do you know that it's in the Quran? That Jesus is the word of God? It's there. The gospel eh, is there. Anyone that yields to the Spirit will be asking questions about, sorry, excuse sir, what, who is this Isa here? Why is everything about him special? It's not Adito, it's in the Quran, which means Muhammad dictated it. So it's a witness there. Praise the Lord. Are you following? So that's why I'm saying that. You see, we leave that to God because if you teach the conditional, um, unconditional legal sinner, uh, all right, that means that um, everybody is sin legally, everybody is a sin, uh, sinner by nature, it would therefore mean that if Adam, by his disobedience, was able to make everybody a legal sinner and everybody, all right, a sinner by nature, it would therefore mean that for the grace of Christ to be greater than Adam, by virtue that he rose from the dead and paid the price, it will therefore mean that automatically everybody must be what? Saved. Which is what universalism is preaching. Are you following? Because if everybody automatically was made a sinner, all right, legally by Adam, and now in Christ, we have to individually, you understand, it will mean that the sin of Adam is greater than the blood of Jesus. And everybody said, God, God, I don't know, let's be like Paul, God, praise God. So, this is why when you are preaching the gospel to someone, let the person understand, you are making, this, this, this moment we are in, is a moment in time that will determine eternity. So when you are preaching the gospel, you need to understand what you are doing. You say, sister, um, what's your name? I'm Dara. Brother, sister, this moment in time will determine all eternity. You were born for this moment in time. What moment is this? To make a decision where you are going to spend eternity. To make a decision whether you are going to be a house of God or a house of the devil. This is the moment in time. Then you preach the gospel to him. What decision have you made? Do you believe that Jesus, hallelujah, is the blood shed for your sins? Do you accept him as your Lord? Do you want to say, I belong to you, Jesus? That decision, angels work over time to orchestrate that decision, that scenario for men. In fact, that is what the angels do. You notice Cornelius? That's what he did. That's what they do. 
to orchestrate it so that men. He can get to a point that they will orchestrate it that at the dying moment of a patient, he will move a nurse to preach to the child person. He will move a doctor to preach. He can organize, say, oh yeah, you people, go to and do evangelism in the hospital. You people have never heard that kind of instruction before. You will not go there. They say, well, they, they won't allow us. You go there, they will not allow you. Because that's their job. To orchestrate it so that men can make their decision. Because let me tell you, no man will be able to stand before God and say, I never heard, so you are unrighteous to send me to hell. No man. No man. No man will ever be able to say it. Because God is just. Praise God. You may not ask me, what of the people that lived in Africa? I don't know. I just know this one. That this God that we are serving, he has taken care of business. Praise God. Ah, he has taken care of business. So I may not understand how, because normally if I told you that some missionaries came to Benin in the 14th century, do you know it's true? Portuguese missionaries, they came to Benin and preached the gospel to the other Benin. And the whole town. They even built a church. But the other turned it to something. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we, we don't know all those stories, but we know this one, that God will never leave himself without what? A witness. And he is fair. Amen? Praise God. All right? So when you are moved to share the gospel, share it. Understand that that person was, think about it. Some people can live for 65 years, but five minutes with you will determine everything. Five minutes. Ten minutes. With you, will determine everything. Praise God. Let it be that you are the witness to that person's conscience that he heard the gospel. Because at the last day, when we sit down at the judgment seat of Christ, we will be rewarded for that. Hallelujah. Have you been blessed? There's a YouTube question. Have you written it out? Okay, what is it? Let me see. How is it possible that Jesus Christ died both physically and spiritual death, but was quickened by his spirit that is the spirit of God? Ah, this is a very... I don't understand. How is it possible that Jesus... Okay, do you know what, sir? Um, let me recommend a message for you because, you know, there are some questions you get that you need to refer to a message. The answer is not, you know, because how is it possible that Jesus died both physically and spiritually, but was quickened by his spirit? By his own word. Oh, no, depending on how spiritual death is. All right, spiritual death just means separation. And when you are saying separation, we are not saying that. When we are saying separation, we are not saying, you know, one of these we talk about that, that separation from God. That, you know, all right, God is everywhere, so you cannot be separate from him. I hope you know that. All right, so that separation from God, all right, is actually used to, all right, speak about how that, all right, it was at the hands of justice, okay, paying for our own trans transgressions, which means it was where we were, okay, all right, because where was all mankind who had gone into sin, they were where? In hell. So Jesus went to hell, okay, and was where we were. He sat where we sat, you understand? 
So spiritual death, because I, it's the understanding of spiritual death he's talking about, all right? But it was quickened by spirit. The spirit of Jesus is the spirit of God, all right? And what that tells us is that the spirit of Jesus, all right, remained the spirit of Jesus in hell. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And it was by his spirit, glory to God, that he was able to what? Overcome all the forces of hell, the forces of sin and the forces of the devil, and rules again from the dead. Now, I believe I taught you, I think it was in Messianic, where I explained the Psalms Jesus was quoting in hell. I'm afraid you remember that? Psalm 16, Psalm 23, and all. Thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither. So that means I told you that Jesus actually got out of hell via the same process the believer gets born again. By the law of what? Of faith. So because he had faith in the prophecies that had gone ahead concerning him, all right, all through the time when he was in hell, he was speaking those sorts of prophecies. And after three days, he rose from the dead. Where do we get the typology from? We get the typology from Jonah. Because for three days in Jonah, what was Jonah doing? Jonah was just talking. All right? Was just talking. Was just talking. Was just talking. Was just talking. So Jesus already told us that the picture of him in hell, glory to God, is the picture of Jonah in the what? In the belly of the whale. So the more Jonah spoke, after three days, the whale was commanded by God to what? Vomit him. Jesus, because he was talking and expressing his faith in the words that had gone ahead, spoken by the prophet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hell, just like the whale, pushed him out. Permitted him out. Hallelujah. So the Bible says that he rose up by the Spirit. But we see there that he rose up by the Spirit, believing the word. Because the word and the Spirit, they work what? Hand in glove. If you are going to see the move of the Spirit, you will see the move of the Spirit by what? Acting on the word of God. Praise the Lord. All right. Amen. Have you been blessed? Some people didn't ask questions. People like Anita, Esther, we know that. Paul, like, I mean, it was fantastic. Everybody understood it. Praise God. I mean, I know Shane Shanta, you have to say something. Uh, let us get feedback. It doesn't stop. We are How was the teaching? Just give us feedback. How was it? Was it, were you blessed? Eh? Sorry, Shano, how was this teaching? Eh? You were blessed, Abby. Jennifer, I was, I mean, you, you took notes, Abby. You are recording. With what? Oh, you're recording your phone. Are you listening after Abby? Eh? So you didn't take any notes. Yeah. So what if we were saying we're giving 50,000 naira for the best notes? You now. Uh. All right, guys. Now, guys, listen. Praise God. Guys, listen, I hope you know we have not entered into core pneumatology, right? This is just introduction because we were just introducing how the Spirit came. Amen. So this is just one because we now have to, because remember I have not taken you into Canaan, right? <laughs> yes, I've not taken you into Canaan to talk to you about the enemies in Canaan, the children of Israel are to put down, which is speaking figuratively of us now that we have the spirit and the contention we have with what? With the flesh. What it shows us, what Canaan shows us is that the fact that you arrive at the promised land does not mean you will enjoy it if you do not put the, all those guys, all right, in subjection. 
Are you following? So you see a lot of times they are in Canaan, but they are under one king, they are under this one, they are under this one, they are under this one. So also many believers, though they are in the spirit, they have the Holy Spirit, but they are still held in some form of bondage or the other by addictions, by this, by that, by mindset, by thinking, and by this, stuff like that. So that's one of the things we are going to look at later. Praise God. And you find that, that how did God always bring them out? How did God always bring them out of those bondage and stuff like that? He sent a ministry gift. Judges. Is that correct? All right. Then that judge will come. Then the Bible says, and he will judge them for 40 years. And he will judge them for 20 years. So what happened was that person will come and judge them in accordance to the Mosaic law. Right now, we judge and minister the what? The spirits. All right. Remember 2 Corinthians, is it? 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Um, who had made us able what? Ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of what? The Spirit. So God now raises men, fivefold ministry gifts, whose job is to cause you to what? To grow in the knowledge of Christ. Hallelujah. So that as you grow in the knowledge of Christ, in this Canaan that you found yourself, you can walk in dominion and put all things that want to rise up against you under your feet. Because remember, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father until all his enemies are under what? His feet. Which means they are not yet all under. So we are at Canaan, but there is contention. We have to put our flesh under, number one. We have to put our passions, the flesh, under, number two. Then we have to put the devil in his place, number three. The indwelling of the Spirit makes it possible for us to do it. But we have to do it. So now that you are in Canaan, do not allow a scenario where you are under the dominion, under the oppression of anything that is not of the Spirit. Rule and reign. That's your calling. Your kings. Praise God. Can you lift up your hands and just bless the name of the Lord? Hallelujah. Can we just pray in the Holy Ghost? Just thank God. We give you praise, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You have just listened to a message by Reverend Dr. Femi Olalea of Oikea Christian Center. For other messages, visit our website at www.oikeacc.org. Remain blessed.